0: Guess what, cinephiles? I have just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S. So you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN.
1: Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So, like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you can actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They are on ExpressVPN, so you can, you can get access to, like, thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to this stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows. there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using Express VPN. And it's
0: incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. Everyone has their own definition of cool. Maybe it's James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause, or Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke, or Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon. For some, coolness is personified by Grace Kelly in To Catch a Thief, or Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction, or Michelle Yao in just about everything. But however you define your terms, it's hard to imagine two hours of more concentrated coolness than you'll find in Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. I mean, seriously, you've got Clooney and Pitt at the top of their game with an up-and-coming Matt Damon playing the up-and-coming con artist Linus Caldwell. And, of course, there's the epitome of 70s cool, Elliot Gould, the Golden Age comedy cool of Carl Reiner, plus Don Cheadle, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, and I mean, there are 11 of them. Add to that Academy Award winner Julia Roberts and Andy Garcia as the stylish and very dangerous Terry Benedict, All of this filmed with the beautiful camera work of Steven Soderbergh, along with a tight script, cool music, stylish costumes, and glamorous Las Vegas locations. And you've got one of the most thrilling, surprising, and truly satisfying heist movies ever made. So if you haven't seen this incredible film, you're going to have to break into cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream Ocean's Eleven along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to support the show on Patreon.com slash The Cinephiles, right now you could be listening to John and I discuss some of Hollywood's families, from the Barrymores to the Baldwins. So that's Hollywood Families on Patreon and Ocean's Eleven this week on The Cinephiles. Because the house always wins.
2: You play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you, unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. Been practicing this, Peter. A good. little bit did I rush? It felt like I rushed. That was good. I liked it. <laughs>
0: Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John
1: Roca. I'm a critic, uh, voiceover guy, actor, writer, producer, and host, um, and uh, co-host here on The Cinephiles. And uh, an aficionado of George Clooney, my man, of this period of george clooney is my favorite george clooney and i'm so excited steve that we're walking in to talk about a film that is one of my favorites and one that will absolutely
0: be a complete change of pace from the last few weeks of i know shows right <laughs> the so, um yeah.
3: well and it's i don't I,
0: I don't know what the coolest film is in the history of hollywood yeah but this is in the running oh yeah this is in the top five this thomas crown affair the
1: remake Mm -hmm. And there's maybe two or three other ones that are in that mix of cool films that when you
0: watch it, you immediately take on that coolness when you're watching it. Yeah. Well, and for those of you who didn't actually look at the title of the podcast, you've (laughs) now heard the words George Clooney and one of the coolest films in the history of Hollywood. And all of you have probably guessed that we are talking about Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven with a cast that is unbelievable and i it was so funny i just watched it again Mm -hmm. the whole time i texted you a few times like this movie is so tight and so well made Mm -hmm. it's great i like it a lot yeah have we done a soderbergh on no oh wow this is our first one okay
1: and i was a good one to start with
0: yeah and i wasn't thinking about it as i would have put together more of a biography of him but i didn't do that because i guess i was lazy we'll save that for a bigger a bigger film but this is a this is a
1: nice fun film for soderbergh to direct but there are, If we ever tackle Sex, Lies, in Videotape, and maybe a couple of these films that are a little more, or Traffic, traffic or something yeah. like that down the road, we can give a, d- a deeper biography. But yeah, um, wow, surprising to hear that this is our right. first Soderbergh.
0: Okay. Well, it, the thing I like about him, and the more common tracks I've listened to in interviews, he's a craftsman. Like oh, yeah. He really a- approaches it in the, I want to make a really good movie, not on the ego level not on the highfalutin level he he'll do a drama he'll do something like a heist movie like this he just he just loves the craft of filmmaking yeah he did that film recently
1: i think a couple two three four years ago that was all shot on iphone right um i think it's undone i think it's the one with claire foy where she's in the mental uh ward or whatever happens there Uh, i haven't seen it but you know he's always pushing the boundaries with bubble uh, and then with that film he did with uh, Sasha Gray, the porn actress, porn star mm-hmm. uh, with The Girlfriend Experience. He's always pushing the boundaries of what film can be. And, you know, Steve, people talk about auteurs and they it's like Coppola and Scorsese and, you know, um, what do you want to say? Uh, Roberto Rossellini and all this. And, but, you know, there are auteurs that are not necessarily the ones you would think about when you talk about the highfaluting auteurs of film. And I think Soderbergh qualifies as an auteur. He has a distinct style when you watch his movies and uh, you feel it when you're watching them.
0: Well, and I think he's always following his interest. You know what I mean? Like his curiosity. Like he's not, you know, going going after the big paycheck. He's not necessarily trying to make the Oscar movie. He's going – because he did the – didn't he do the one where it was like four shots in sync in real time? Yeah, time time yeah yeah. Yeah, i mean like that's clearly a director going huh i wonder what would happen if i tried this yeah right and and be willing to follow that idea and see how it goes there's a purity in that i think
1: um in in terms of when you're looking at directors there's a purity in his approach that you appreciate and consent does it always work no but there's a respect factor with the fact with the fact that he does that and so when you watch the movies you can give if you can give yourself over to it you can watch his pov through the movie uh, as you navigate the movie or as he leads you on the navigation of the movie which i think is is fun to enjoy um do you remember how you first came to oceans 11 yeah i'm sure it was all of us getting together or some of us getting together in 2001 to see it in the theater there's no way i went by myself to see this so i i, I imagine it was a bunch of us michael and jen and all of them getting together to go see it um either at the grove or maybe at the arc light or i don't know maybe not the arc light maybe the um chinese theater or something like that but i don't distinctly have a memory of seeing it for the first time but i imagine that's what it was um and i just remember enjoying the movie and i remember it being one of the as you said steve one of the coolest movies and just feeling that coolness and this is at the time where i still wanted to be like an actor on in the on screen and stuff so like i was looking at these cool dudes these good-looking guys and i was just like and and you know the different character actors that are in here and i was thinking to myself god i'd love to be in a film like this and also being a sinatra guy You know, uh, I know that original is not that good, but you got the rat pack all together and the extended branches of the rat pack all together for that movie. So I was really surprised and happy
0: that they did a better version of the film with this remake. So I think I tried to watch the original. Years and years ago, and okay. maybe watched 20 minutes of it, and then just was like, I'm not, it's not an, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it really is. My memory of seeing this is exactly what your memory is, which is yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. I know I saw it in the theater, yeah. and I cannot remember what the circumstances are. So you and I might have been at the same movie theater. Might have been it's very possible, been. Yeah. but I can't remember it, which is it's it is funny, by the way, how much of the time you and I can remember the movie theater we were in when we saw a movie 25 30 40 years ago even yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that's that's a strange strange thing you know and, and the, the thing with the original is i mean as i said the rat pack and all the
1: tentacles of the rat pack with you know dean martin and sammy davis jr and peter lawford and joey bishop and you have i think you have a young norman fell in that film as well and um there's quite a lot of people in the film um that uh, sinatra this was this and this was at the height of sinatra's power this was in vegas They were uh, partying all night and shooting all day. Uh, Sinatra was at the height of his hubris as well. He was only doing one or two takes per scene. Uh, So he was very much not um, dealing with any of the bullshit. Um, And I can't remember the director or I think it's Lewis something or Miles something, but he pretty much bossed him all over the set uh, from what I've read in in, in the numerous uh, biographies that I've read of Sinatra. And this is also where him and Sammy had a bit of a fallout. Oh, really? know, which is why he kind of pushes Sammy to be the garbage man who's doing that song with the garbage guys EO 11. Um, that was his kind of sort of semi punishment for Sammy because of him having a bit of a him and them having a bit of a fallout. Hmm. So, you know, unfortunately when you're, you know, at the behest of a cult of personality, when that person decides they don't like you, they'll absolutely switch some things around. So you're kind of put to the side. So whereas Robin in the seven hoods, Sammy is all around that. Right. And in Ocean's Eleven, he's kind of pushed to the side in, in uh, for some of the movie. So, um, uh, and this is also where, uh, you know, right around the time where he is trying to ingratiate himself with President Kennedy. And uh, he has a fallout with President Kennedy because uh, he thought Peter Lawford could get him. President Kennedy show up and do – well, at the time, candidate Kennedy could show up and do a fundraiser at his house. And Robert Kennedy stepped in and said no. Uh, because we don 't want we, we, Sinatra's attached to mobsters we don 't want mobsters being involved in, in tainting President Kennedy, even though there 's a lot of historical books that 'll tell you that uh, Joe Kennedy reached out to a few mobsters and there were some some shenanigans
0: uh, yes um it 's so funny Joe Kennedy, not the nicest of guys nope i mean it 's uh, clearly he raised some powerful children, you know certainly. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's some stuff there. Um, but in uh, the end, Steve, a terrible movie. Yeah, I, I and I've heard rumors too that like sometimes they're just making up the script as they go along, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. Well, this movie, I should say, mm-hmm. is you know often we're doing movies because they are a Patreon pick, and this movie is a pick from one of our fans from Caden Tuler Comadena, Okay. Um, from Caden Tuler Comodena. And Caden wrote to us specifically, and I'm, I'm just going to say it how I feel that it happened. Okay. Which is he basically said, I'm part of Patreon, but could I sweeten the deal a little bit to get you to do Ocean's Eleven? So we definitely care about all our supporters on Patreon. We definitely want to honor all of our commitments to you. But if there's a movie that both of us genuinely like, which yeah. we do... Uh, there's sometimes a possibility of speeding up the entire process yeah. through monetary influence. Hey, part of having a patron. It's part of having a patron. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's what it is. Yeah. So thank you very, very much. And I'd love to hear why you wanted us to do Oceans 11. Hi, Stephen John. This is Caden from Utah. And my pick is Steven Soderbergh's excellent Oceans 11. I love this movie for a lot of reasons, mainly the cast, which is just a really charming group. It's one of the most, Charismatic group of actors ever in one movie. Uh, One of the reasons why I love watching it so much is because it seems like it was a lot of fun to make, and that really comes through in the movie. So I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about it. A real quick shout out to my brother Cole, who's recovering from a hamstring injury. Get well soon, Cole. And thanks for all you do, John and Steve. You are both the best in the movie podcast business. Looking forward to hearing you guys talk about Ocean's Eleven. And there's one more thing I want to say before we start this film. Yeah. Watching this, I feel so dumb. And let me tell you why. Okay. My film, The Assistance, is a con movie. Yes. And I cannot believe I didn't study this film before making The assistance. <laughs> I feel so fucking stupid. And it was funny because listening to the commentary track, yeah, I'm listening to Soderbergh struggle with a bunch of the shit that I was struggling with and solving it. You know, and explaining the reasoning of like like there's in the assistance and in Ocean's Eleven, there's the scene where the guy makes the speech talking about the plan and everyone's sitting around doing it. It was so hard for me to shoot. And he talks about how hard it was to shoot. But he also talks about his solutions to those same problems. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) And the way he does transitions and all these things, I was like, if I just studied this fucking movie, my movie would have been way better. Yeah, I would possibly. have sto- I would have stolen shit from him.
1: Oh yeah, or you would have been
0: accused of that. Oh, this is just a uh, you know Steve doing his version of Ocean's Eleven. But yeah, you know, you never know. If, if uh, that would be great. If enough <laughs> people watch my movie to ex- accuse me of stealing things, I'm totally fine with it. Fair enough and particularly because if i you listen to the commentary track he's talking about the movies that he stole those things from
1: yeah 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 true that's true that's
0: what we do you know is you learn things from watching other films yeah the first attempt to make a remake of oceans 11 actually happened in 1987 from producer david permutt and he was the producer of dragnet the movie with dan oh. Aykroyd and tom hanks yeah it didn't go anywhere uh in the late 90s jerry weintraub Uh, Got the rights. Jerry Weintraub, we talked about as a big producer. Yes. We first talked about him on Oh God, because he became a producer because he was John Denver's manager. Right. So he was a music manager. And do you know some of the other people that he managed? Because I did not. No. He managed The Carpenters, The Four Seasons, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan. Ooh, interesting. Led Zeppelin. Wow. Elvis Presley and a little-known singer named Frank Sinatra. Wow. Okay. And and part of why they were able to do this, why the way they did it was he had serious hookups in Vegas Mm. because he had managed all these acts, right? You know, and so and it just it's fascinating to me that he was Frank's manager and then he's doing this you know remake of a Frank Sinatra film many years later.
1: Yeah, maybe Um, he knew
0: the potential of this film and wanted to get it done right. It's possible too uh, and it sounds like Soderbergh George Clooney Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts were all on it right from the beginning yeah yeah and this is really peak for all of them for a know? lot yes agreed you know you've got
1: Brad Pitt who is very much in the public conscious now you've uh, you have um er, uh Julia Roberts who just won the Oscar the year before with uh-huh. uh, Aaron Brockovich under Soderbergh's direction yep Clooney is at the height of his charm and and suave demeanor um, and then you have some of the up and coming guys like Damon was still not Matt Damon 100% yet, he was still kind of building yep. his name. Um, and then you have the you know the veterans like Elliot Gould and and uh, um uh Carl Reiner. And Carl Reiner, but then you get the up and comers as well, the Scott Conn who's been a successful TV actor for a number of years now, and Casey Affleck, who goes on to yep. win a best uh. And Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, who is still kind of getting into the public consciousness, and also Bernie Mac, who is kind of slowly getting into our consciousness as
0: as well. So it's a great collection of people, for sure. It really is. And it's funny, I got a list of some of the other people considered for parts, some of whom I know what they were considered for. Some I do not. I will read you the ones that I don't. And I'm curious where you think these people were heading. (laughs) Okay. Mike Myers. i'm not sure where you would want mike myers maybe as the tech guy maybe the tech guy maybe yeah bruce willis oh that's got to be danny ocean oh maybe maybe if he was considered before they brought Clooney in because i can't see him for anything else yeah uh ewan mcgregor oh i could see him in the brad pitt or matt damon role for sure i I think he i think they were thinking of him in the don cheadle role
1: oh yeah the The, british guy
0: yeah yep that works and this one i'm almost well it could be either of them alan arkin Oh, that's totally the Carl Reiner role. That's what well, I think. It's gotta be Carl Reiner. But it could yeah. be Elliot Gould. Could be Elliot Gould. Although yeah.
1: it's such a great it's I, I love Elliot Gould. Can I say this correctly? I loved I love the older Jews. I love I know you do. The older rich Jews. I just dig it. I love it. I love watching the character that Elliot Gould plays um in the movie and
0: in subsequent movies. He's so good uh in that role. So I love it. I, one of the, there's so many areas of film that we haven't hit, but the, but peak Elliot Gould from MASH through all those seventies movies, there's a whole bunch in there. And it's so funny thinking of him, like he was a seventies sex symbol in his way, in his Elliot Gould way. Yeah, Uh, And that is all the pre-production I have. Would you like to get into the film? Let's do it. Uh, so the first thing, by the way, they, they, they distorted and recolored the WB and uh, mm. uh, Village Roadshow logos. And S- Soderbergh was so scared that the companies would come after them. And apparently nobody ever noticed because <laughs> they never said anything. And we hear the sound of cell opening. We hear footsteps and we fade in on a chair. And there's George. Good morning. Good morning. This is the first thing they ever shot for the film. And he did, Soderberg did shoot the parole board mm. and decided never to cut to them. Wow. Which I think is brilliant. Mr.
2: Ocean, what we're trying to find out is, was there a reason you chose to commit this crime? Or was there a reason you simply got caught this time? My wife left me. I was upset. I got into a self-destructive pattern.
1: Yeah, this is such a smart move by Soderbergh to have, you know, because Steve, you know, as a director, you shoot one side, you shoot yeah. the other side, and you mix them in, um, and, or you shoot over the shoulder or whatever. So, has, having him just in center frame, answering these questions, hearing a nondescript voice, because we don't need to see the faces. The voice is enough, and our focus is on Clooney. We want to like Danny Ocean from the beginning. So, putting him in that kind of vulnerable position, having him ask the questions, hearing that his wife left him. All these are checking the boxes to make him a uh, sympathetic uh, protagonist. And so just brilliant the way you're laying the groundwork
0: already for this guy. Plus, he's coming out of prison. So there's also a little bit of sympathy there as well. Well, and I think the other side of it is despite the fact that he is a prisoner. Yeah. He is super cool. Yes, he is. Good (laughs) looking Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like like not bothered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, Just kind of above it in a way. If released.
3: Is it likely you'd fall back into a similar pattern?
2: She already left me once. I don't think she'd do it again just for kicks.
0: I, this script is great. The script is by Ted Griffith, and I think it's really, really tight. I agree.
3: Mr. Ocean, what do you think you
0: would do if released? And the music hits as he thinks about it, and he doesn't answer the question, which is interesting because they shot him answering the question. Not only did they shoot him answering the question, it's his answer is in the trailer. What do you think you would do
2: if released? I don't know. How much do you guys make a year? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and they chose to cut it out, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Because just looking at his face and hearing the music, that sets up an expectation rather than just a, you know an average joke. Yeah. yeah great. Uh, the music is fantastic. It's David Holmes. Again, it's just super cool. Yeah. I'll tell you what I was thinking about. As he's exiting, he gets his wedding ring, and he's putting the tux back on. What I was thinking about, was that there's this weird combination of shawshank redemption and morgan freeman talking to the parole board and the blues brothers yeah definitely blues brothers and jake coming out of prison and being met by his partner you know which he's not this time but just like the the that feeling of oh my god the guy's coming out you know yeah 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 yeah. one thing by the way is they normally okay i gotta shoot a prison and I'm going to shoot it for the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, you'd shoot them at the same time because that's just more efficient. Right. And Soderbergh refused to do that. He shot one at the beginning and one at the end because he wanted Clooney to look different and he was hoping the weather would be different. So the shots would look very different, which it ended up it was. Right. Let's go to Atlantic City. Yeah, let's do it. Sit down to a blackjack table, spots Bernie Mac. Hello, Frank.
4: I beg your pardon, sir. You must have me confused with someone else. My name is Ramon.
1: Yeah, clever bit of dialogue here in the back and forth where it ends up getting, and see so he ends up giving a coded message that, come and meet me at Caesars right. at one p, at 1 a.m.
0: And then we see a newspaper, and in the newspaper mm. it says, Las Vegas landmark to be raised, and we see Andy Garcia. And we see Elliot Gould in the backward background of that picture. You know, rewatching it this time, I found myself comparing it to Oceans
1: 13 because you know, obviously Oceans 12 really uh, h- hit a wall, and people did not like that movie because it felt like cocky as opposed to cool. And so they adjusted things for this one. And it seems like, Steve, they followed the same formula as the first one. Make sure Andy mm. Garcia is the villain. Uh, essentially, even though Pacino's a villain in the third in the third one, there is stuff with Andy Garcia in the third one. And then, you know, it's about a, um, a hotel getting destroyed, about Elliot Gould being involved in some manner to that hotel being destroyed. So it's interesting how the same beats when you're watching the original mm. this time that you can connect to Ocean's 13. So, you know, they wanted to go back to that
0: coolness again, and they achieved it for sure. Which I have never seen Ocean's oh, 13. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I hated Oceans twelve. Oh. I, and I haven't seen Oceans 13, but I i promise maybe we'll maybe we'll discuss it as a short or something. Oh. Yeah, it could be fun. And I'll watch it in the next week or so and, and we can talk about it. Pacino's doing his thing the whole time. He's just Pacino ing Hello.
4: You just got out? This
2: afternoon. You seen him?
4: The last I heard he was teaching movie stars how to play cards. What? You have a plan already?
2: Are you kidding? I just became a citizen again. And there's that big smile.
1: Isn't this cool? It was cool about script? And you're right to highlight the script, Steve, because it is so essential to making this film cool. Like, I like that throughout this series, there's a lot of, um, how can I say this, shorthand or inside conversations mm-hmm. that you have to catch up on as the viewer. Like, you're just like, oh, who is he referencing? Who is he talking about? Of course, when you rewatch it, you know, and you can pick it up, and it's really right. cool. But the first time, you're just like caught up in the mystery of it all. But they it's it's such great script writing logic in that those guys don't need to explain the exposition. Right. They know what they're talking about because they've been and known each other for a, for a while. So he knows he's talking about Rusty.
0: And right. so, you know, you don't have to say his name, which is great. You know, I love well, it. But it's I'm so glad you pointed it out. It's one of the keys of screenwriting is like you want exactly the bare minimum of exposition to keep the audience in and enough mystery to keep him in. And, and this is so tight this script
2: officer Brooks. This is Danny ocean. I was told to contact you within 24 hours.
0: We're outside in front of a big Trump plaza (laughs) sign. It's so weird. Every time I see Trump in a movie now, it just is a very different emotional feeling. They were going to shoot this inside this phone call scene. And then the AD grabbed Soderbergh and said, Hey, come check it out outside. And there was like this nice fog and they rushed out and shot it there. Um, And I like that. He's talking to his parole officer Who he completely lies to. No, sir. I wouldn't even
2: think about leaving the state.
0: And then we go into a split screen. And Soderbergh does a lot of these split screens and wipes. And and he even does some of them like the flips, which generally in editing class, they say, don't don't do those. Those are for like wedding videographers and (laughs) bar mitzvahs. Like, don't. But Soderbergh knows how to use them. And they end up being real cool. And we cut to Hollywood in front of the Capitol Records building. And there eating some nachos is Brad Pitt. Yeah. great beginning it's great apparently he went to Soderberg and said hey Stephen how would you feel about me always eating in every shot and they go oh, okay so this first one is nachos yeah later on is shrimp <laughs> we definitely gonna eat some shrimp um are the tattoos real
1: I, I th- I've always believed the tattoos were painted on and just an element of his character I don't think he actually has those tattoos under his uh, shirt do you see
0: kind of the, the long one down i don't car? think he i don't know yeah. i have no idea but i wouldn't i don't think he does yeah and we go and meet topher grace let me ask you a question now are you incorporated and this scene by the way is a pickup this of them walking into the card game they added later yeah. and, and Soderberg says that he always always plant he puts money aside a lot of money aside because he knows he's going to reshoot well, this is what I love or- about listening to him. He's so practical. He's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like, I'm not going to get it all right. I'm going to have to put do things again. You know?
1: The greatest gift is knowing who you are as a yeah. artist, because then you can plan for everything. It's important.
0: Yeah. And there's this little scene of him basically wanting to deduct uh, Brad Pitt's services. <laughs> just stares at him. This is shot, by the way, at the club The Deep in Hollywood. Okay. Want to know who one of the owners of the club is? Who? Soderbergh. Uh, of course. Then we sit down to a poker table filled with young Hollywood stars. Yeah, this is great. And by the way, this is real. You know, if you watch, um,
1: uh, what's the film with Jessica Chastain, Molly's game. If you watch Molly's game, the main antagonist of the players, that's supposed to be Tobey Maguire in real life. Mm. And so this idea of young actors playing poker was a real thing uh, in Hollywood, maybe still, but around that time, for sure, there've been stories and stuff like that about this. So, seeing people like Topher and Shane West and uh, Holly Marie Combs and other people, uh, I can't remember the other two people that are around there, but like, they're not big names. They're mostly TV actors who've done some smaller stuff. Like Shane West did a walk in the clouds. And um, I think he plays Tom Sawyer in league of extraordinary gentlemen. So he wasn't, none of them were that big necessarily in terms of theatrically big, but they were big for a certain section of the audience. And I thought that was funny and kudos on them to allow themselves to look like idiots throughout this whole scene. Yeah. With Rusty.
0: Because <laughs> they really do.
2: Shane, you got three pairs. Yeah. You can't have three
0: pairs. You can't have six cards in a five-card oh, game. <laughs> so the one commentary track is Ted Griffin and Soderbergh. Oh. They have a second commentary track, which is Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, and Brad Pitt. Shut
1: up. That loveliness of them.
0: Well, it is so they're great. Okay. I, I know I've said before that frequently I don't love actors' commentary tracks because mm-hmm. they don't know that much sometimes, you know. They're not this, there. This is a good scene. I love this scene. <laughs> well, those are those are a special thing all on their own. But like Matt Damon's not there for two thirds of the oh, movie being right. shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Andy Garcia's not even show up in the movie for the first half. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so like so actors don't always and they were great. It's a great commentary track. Mm. What Matt Damon said at this point was he's like, well, this scene is really funny and it's really great, but. I had just done rounders and in <laughs> rounders. I had to have the guy come in and teach me and Ed Norton how to play poker. And he was like, this guy shot a little close to home. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. Which by the way, rounders is another of those movies we've talked about doing. Bro, rounders. we got to do rounders. I, I love it.
1: I, a- I saw it again oh. two weeks ago, just by myself. Uh, Lindley was out uh, for the day. It came
0: on around seven o'clock. I just sat there and listened. also a great score. A great yeah. score in that film so, okay yeah. i mean i i, I we, we should do it you know i it. feel like we earned a lot of two months of spike lee yeah. dealing with heavy issues we could do some i agree not that not that rounders is a, a light you know but it's a fun movie it's fun yeah it's really fun so we cut to him just drinking <laughs> at the bar and you could see his life is not uh stellar at the yeah. moment yeah. yeah he's not happy yeah we go back in and there sitting at the table with our young stars is George Clooney. Did you catch Clooney walking behind him? No, I didn't. He does. He walks
1: behind him while he's sitting there, talking to the bartender and looking at the woman or the two people who are dancing. Clooney just kind of deftly walks past him in nice. the all black. So that when you see him later, if you caught him, you understand why he's How sitting he there. there. If not, it still works. You don't have to see him, but
0: yeah, I thought it was cool. I caught him this time. I was like,
1: "Oh shit!" Yeah,
0: I love that. The first line we hear in the poker room is it's "Hard to do, isn't it? I've seen it?" over from television to film. <laughs> Great meta moment. Yeah,
1: Clooney asking that question.
0: Which, <laughs> I mean, I I I think Clooney's got to be among the top five. Oh yeah, actors to go from TV to film, yeah. like Denzel Washington being another. Yeah. Um, Meg Ryan. And so they, there's some jokes about Incan matrimonial head masks.
2: Any money in those? Incan matrimonial head masks. There's some. Don't let them fool you. There's boatloads. If you can move them. But you can't. My fence seemed confident enough. Dealing in cash? You don't need a fence. People lack vision. Probably everybody's so blocky. And I just love the rhythm between
0: Clooney and Brad Pitt. Dude, pure chemistry. Pure yeah.
1: Absolute chemistry. This series doesn't work without those two and their banter and their natural, cool chemistry. Yeah. And it
0: seems like they really like each other. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I've mostly heard that they really like each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's $500. And before we were betting like 50 bucks. Yeah. Now a $500 bet comes in and there's kind of a reaction. And Brad
2: Pitt, who's their poker teacher, says, Today's lesson, how to draw out the bluff. That much money this early in the game, I'm saying he's holding nothing better than a pair of face cards. So this is all this is a con, right? Now, of course, it is that they're both working a con on
1: these. Uh, especially because you hear an, a wild line from Toe for Grace when they're betting money, and he goes, "What do you say? It's just chump change anywhere." Right. It's just it's, so, in a way, they're kind of jerks. They play them as jerks, not probably jerks in real life, but they play them as jerks who make a lot of money, so they don't give a shit about their money. So taking the money from them
0: doesn't make anyone feel bad about it you know it, I wonder and do you think when you first saw it that you knew it was a con no from this moment I did not until
1: um Pitt is telling them how to bet and getting them to put more right. money in the pot then when I was like okay this could be because Clooney needs money possibly because he doesn't have a lot of money maybe coming out of prison I don't know but either way they're just maybe just and this is not and this reminds me of rounders as Damon says totally as a, I where they're working this deal in Atlantic city when they're all sitting around mm. working those people later on in the film. Yeah.
0: I don't think it's because Clooney needs money. Okay. Although that certainly could be. And yeah, there's yeah. no reason to think it wouldn't be. I think they do this for fun. Yeah. You just, you know, practice. Well, and I think, and, I, and he knows that Brad Pitt is bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And has had to sit listening to these, you know, rich assholes over and over again. And so, they run up the bet. First, it's five hundred. Then he throws in five thousand. Yeah, they all throw in five thousand. You know, they call the the hand, and he shows. I'm not
2: sure what four nines does, but the ace I think is pretty high.
0: <laughs> and I love that the last line we hear is. Thanks for the
1: tip on calling out the bluff. <laughs> oh, I love Tover to here. Four uh, all reds, all reds, man. Oh, all reds is one of the best.
0: <laughs> That's one of the best. <laughs> um it really is i do think it's really kind of brave for them with oh, their own names yeah. to let themselves be made look really ridiculous yeah you, you notice holly marie combs didn't participate in that holly's like yeah oh, stay a, you uh, you know you don't make me look like a fool um i i love too that uh we head out of the club and of course tofer gets hit for autographs yes. while two of the biggest movie stars in the world just walk by you know <laughs>
1: Well, do we talk about it on the show? What Clooney said uh, about stardom, because this is brings. Cause I bring it up because Clooney said when during the premiere of this film, for at the red carpet, everyone said to him, "You're a, you're a star, you're a star, you're a star," and it, they were asking him. And he and this is a story I've heard many times. And he said, "Oh no, I'm not the star. I'm not a star. I'll show you a movie star." And Pat, Pitt walked out on red carpet, and like the audience exploded, and the cameras exploded, and he said. That's a movie star. Wow. And so he just was saying so he understood like Clooney. This thing great thing about Clooney. He 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 was he always has this like real perspective on yeah. what he was, you know, because he knows he was a guy who suffered for years without booking things. He's part of a famous family with his aunt being Rosemary Clooney, his dad uh you know, hosting the shows there on TCM way back when. So he's got connections to Hollywood. And he tried and tried and tried, and it wasn't until later in life that he finally achieved things. So he had an, a different perspective when he became yeah. famous and he was more than willing to like share credit and give away credit and give props where it
0: needed to be without being, without seeming to be jealous. And he that's, that's always brilliant. seen. He's always seemed so down to earth yep. for, for as gorgeous, cool, spectacular, yeah. <laughs> a guy as he is talented. Yeah, yeah. He seems pretty cool. Um. Yeah. Uh. I, I was going to tell this story later, but so yeah. apparently walking through Vegas, if Clooney had a baseball cap on, nobody bothered him. Oh, wow. Brad Pitt, people would always notice. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a way to hide that. But that wasn't where the big crowds formed. Julia Roberts walked into the room and thousands poured around her.
1: Yeah, yeah, no surprise.
0: Um, it's uh, that thing. Yep. We have this shot of them driving away in a convertible. Again, this was a reshoot. Uh, oh, wow. This is something they added. Do you and think we- this is a um,
1: Touch of Evil homage? Mm. just the way there's he shoots following it. the car yeah, following the convertible around and i just I, that occurred to me this time around and i just had never thought that it wouldn't surprise me
0: S- soderbergh's one of the guys who studies film you know
2: god i'm bored you look bored
0: i am bored and again they're just so funny so how was the clink did you get the cookies i sent why do you think i came to see you first <laughs> which he didn't no he did and then we're sitting in a booth. This is the rule of screenwriting of enter late. He's already been describing something.
2: It's never been done before. So I need planning, a large
0: crew. And Brad Pitt wants to know, what's the target?
2: What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? (laughs) When was the last time you were in Vegas? What? You want to knock over a casino. And George Clooney holds up three fingers.
0: Yeah. And we see the plans of the vault at the Bellagio. This is probably the least accessible
2: vault ever designed. Yep. You said three casinos? These feed into the cages at the Mirage, the MGM Grand, but every dime ends up there. Which makes no sense at all because they're not actually near each other.
1: Yeah, but they make it seem like they're near each other.
2: These are Terry Benedict's places. Yes, they are. You think you'll mind? I wonder somewhat.
1: Do you like this as a screenwriter when they build up the antagonist
0: before you see him for like four? Because it's, it's like Absolutely. 40 minutes before we see uh, Andy Garcia or Benedict. Yeah. Uh, 100% like it it's great well and there's these hints It's this is just this is a textbook on screenwriting I think yeah. because there's just hints of oh who I don't know who Terry Benedict is mm-hmm. must be an important person we have feelings about him yeah. already just from these little hints but yeah. they don't say Terry Benedict is a blah 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 and explain them all no, right no. now you know, Not you, right now no
2: you'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons what do you think off the top of my head, I'd say you're looking at it. A Boski, a Jim Brown, um, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, and Leon Sphinx. Not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of was tempted to go and look these up if they're I looked real. It up. Oh, are they real? I don't know that they're real, but <laughs> I saw two explanations that gave the same answers. Oh, okay. All right. And I had some guesses. Okay. Uh, and some of them were right and some of them were wrong. So Boski is Ivan Boski, which is, you know, uh, famous... Financial is well, and not necessarily trustworthy, yeah. Um, and so I went, okay, that's either Carl Reiner or Elliot Gould. Oh, yeah, and they say it's Carl. The what the articles I read say it was Carl Reiner, okay. Jim Brown, obviously one of the great football players of all time. Uh, that is Frank Bernie Mack oh. who has to attack Matt Damon. Oh interesting and he has attacked Matt Damon with a
1: racist with thing, a which racial Jim Brown uh, marched about in the 1960s right. so that makes
0: sense okay a miss daisy is slang for a swat van Jethro's are drivers <laughs> and that jethro comes from Beverly Hills cop and Beverly Hills cop it comes from the Beverly Hillbillies and that makes it's sense t- entirely different now i'm picturing the 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 merge of uh, Beverly Hills cop and the Beverly Hillbillies in the same movie that would be great Leon Spinks refers to the the boxing match. Okay, and an Ella Fitzgerald. This was the fascinating one, mm. and so everyone who listens to the cinephiles know we spoil all movies. We do, and so I'm going to spoil one of the greatest twists of this film right now. Okay, which is the Do you remember the commercial where it was uh, breaking the glass with Ella Fitzgerald singing, yeah. and it was, the question was, is it live or is it Memorex? Yeah, hitting the note. Yeah. It is about the video of the fake vault. Uh, that's what an Ella Fitzgerald is. That's brilliant. Yeah. According to these two random articles that both said the same thing. Same. Fair enough.
2: You think you're going to get the money to back this? If we're hitting these three casinos. We'll get our bankroll. Benedict's got a long list of enemies. Yeah, but enemies with loose cash, nothing to lose. And then you see on Rusty's face figuring out, ah,
0: Ruben. Ruben. Then there's this totally weird moment where they get hit with a flashlight and there's a security guard there, but it ends up he's totally nice and is helping them. Yeah. This is how this happened was that what they initially set up was during this conversation, you were going to see the security guard getting closer and closer so that you would think that it's a tension builder. They're going to get caught. Right. But then that didn't really work in the editing and it took the fun out of the scene. It made this, it it doesn't play as a tense scene. It should be a fun scene. Right. So he took all that out and just left the ending in it. It also serves a nice
1: purpose in that um, you see that they have connections all over the city with the workers there, the like uh, lower level workers in these casinos or whatever. So it kind of establishes that a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, it totally. I totally agree because they really, it's very clear that Danny Ocean makes friends everywhere he goes. Yes. Yes, he does. They're at the elevator. The scene is great. Soderbergh hates the lighting and <laughs> wanted to reshoot it. And it's so one thing we should say, he is his own cinematographer. <sighs> so he's running camera and he's setting up the lights. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times he talked about not liking the lighting or reshooting things <laughs> because of the lighting uh, in the commentary track. Cool. And it's just, and again, this is why I like him is he's so self-critical, but he said their performances were so good that he didn't want to reshoot it.
2: I need a reason. I don't say money. Why do this? Why not do it? And then Clooney makes a speech. Because yesterday I walked out of the joint after losing four years of my life and your cold decking teen beat cover boys. Cause the house always wins you play long enough. You never change the stakes. The house takes you unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. First of all, it's great
0: speech. It is a great speech. And then they undercut the speech, which is what I love. Yeah. Because <laughs> Brad Pitt says, I've been practicing this speech. A little bit. Did I rush it? felt like
1: I rushed. That was good. Out. I liked it. That was, I remember that moment being in the trailer and that yeah. really won me over because they don't, cause they don't take each other that seriously. Right. Right. They're cool without needing to be cool,
0: and when one of them tries to pull that shit, they call the other one out, which is great. Well, and it's funny because in the assistance and I won't keep talking about it, <laughs> Chris Connor makes this speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, I didn't undercut it. Yeah, the way that Soderbergh does. Right. We're directing a different movie. Sure, but it's just interesting. Like, it was, it just hit me so hard. It was like, oh, I could have learned, there was things to learn. And then we hear, I wonder what Ruben will say, which is a perfect
3: cut to, you're out of your goddamn minds.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Elliot Gould. Yeah, dude, I realized watching it this time around that he's actually my favorite character in all the movies. I love Elliot Gould in all three of these movies. And I hope I look like Elliot Gould by the time I get to be his age. Um, comfortable with the, the, the gut. Wearing the chains, wearing the robe, it's and the big glasses. I mean, these are bigger than I've worn before. Mm. So Lindley had to pull me back because I really wanted to get those big ones with the darkened, the tinted shades,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I didn't. But I'm, I'm getting there, Steve, for sure. I, I'm going to look like Ace Rothstein at the end of Casino for goddamn sure.
0: They were worried. For, first of all, someone suggested Elliot. And, oh. and, and, they, and they just went oh yeah of course that's who we have to get and and Soderbergh really liked the idea of the link to the 70s and that sort of swinging yeah. kind of era sure they were nervous about the wardrobe they're like is he going to be cool with this outfit and he loved it I'm sure he knew people
3: like this I'm sure Elliot knew people like this. Of course like he this. did like,
1: nobody's business right
3: I know more about casino security than any man alive I invented it and it cannot be beaten they got cameras, they got watches, they got locks, they got timers, they got vaults. They got enough armed personnel to occupy Paris. Okay, bad example.
2: It's never been
3: tried. It's been tried. A few guys even came close. And now we get flashbacks to the
0: three most successful robberies in the history of Vegas. Each one done perfectly. And the key to it, first of all, is the music. hmm because in the first one, we hear Papa Does Mambo. Yeah. Um, it's black and white. This is the bronze medal. Pencil grabs a lockbox at the horseshoe.
4: He's hey, 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 hey.
0: he got two steps closer to the door than any living soul before him. Then we cut to, and it's in color, but still sort of older looking like Technicolor footage. And the song, Spirit in the Sky. (laughs) uh, We see this guy charging through the cloud. The Flamingo in
3: 71. This guy actually tasted fresh oxygen before they grabbed him.
0: And the stunt getting hit by the nightstick. And the
3: chips going everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the closest any man has ever come to robbing a Las Vegas casino was outside of Caesars in 87.
0: Song take my breath away so because they do take his breath away at the end of the film that shot and the guy totally dressed like miami vice (laughs) you know throwing up the money and he's running out and gets shot in the back by security caesars did not want this to be done oh really Casino. that's that's understandable and it was Jerry Weintraub, of course, who convinced them. Yeah. It, and it was shot in the middle of the night. Cause I mean, this and it, all this yeah. stuff is shot in the casinos. Of course. Yeah. And casinos go 24 hours. Like, oh, yeah. I, I know. I was
1: just <laughs> at Caesars State. Oh, that's Caesar's right. For five days. So, yeah, 24 seven. You can get up at three in the morning, go gamble. There is never not a they table would. available for you. They would mainstream. love you to. Yes, they would. Yes, they would.
0: Um, you don't strike me as a gambler. No, I didn't gamble once while I was there. Smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last time I was there, I did, and it did not go well.
1: Yeah. See, I I didn't want it because I know me. I'll chase it, Steve. I'll chase it because I'm a competitor, and so it's like I I didn't want to even put myself
0: in the mix. Yeah. Have I have I told you what mostly cured me of gambling? (laughs) No. Mostly. Uh, I heard this lecture from a mathematician and the mathematician was, you know, spends most of his time teaching at MIT or something. Mm-hmm. And then part of the time he gets called into Vegas whenever they're introducing a new game yeah. to figure to calculate the exact odds. Yeah. And this is what he said. And for every single game, they know down to the you know hundredth decimal so, point exactly what the odds are. Which means that what he said, he said, look, if you sit down and play blackjack or slots or anything for a couple hours, I can't predict at all what's going to happen. You could win a ton, you could lose a ton, I have no idea. The longer you play, the way you do will go to those odds until if you play long enough, I can tell you exactly how much you're going to lose and you will lose. And what he said was, because like like blackjack, your odds are really good. It's like 51, 49% or something. And he said, and we said that if you play perfectly, you will lose this much money. It is guaranteed over time. And I went, oh, fuck. Well, that kind of took the fun out of this. <laughs> the longer I play, I will lose. The only, the only place that's not true is like poker. Yeah. Because poker, you're playing against other people. Right. So right. that's different. By the way, this isn't true at all. The largest heist in Vegas was in 1993 at Circus Circus. Ooh. A woman named Heather Tallchief was convinced by her convict boyfriend to get a job working on the Loomis armored trucks. They loaded the money into the truck. And before the two security guards could get back in the truck with her, she drove off. They got away with it, left the country with $3 million. Wow. She came back and turned herself in. This was 93. In 2005, she came back to the US and turned herself in and said that out of the $3 million, she got $1,000 and the convict... Boyfriend that convinced her to do it took the rest of the money and disappeared.
1: Wow. But she didn't come back for 12 years. 12 years. That's a movie. I know. Right.
3: Movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a shame. But what am I saying? You guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. Of course, lest we forget. Once you're out the front door, you're still in the middle of the fucking desert. (laughs)
0: Uh, and i love this is because i love cons i've written two con movies mm-hmm. and i because and the reason i love cons is that it's all about psychology and yeah. so it's like understanding how to write a con is understanding how to write things in general yes because you're you always your characters always want something and they're always using tactics on how to get something
2: yeah you're right he's right ruben you're right our eyes were bigger than our stomachs
0: and they give up and they say, thanks for lunch. Sorry to bother you. And they get up and walk away. This is all in one shot. <laughs> this is was delicious. Sorry we bothered you.
3: Look, we all go way back. And uh, I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> Such a great
0: <laughs> line. It's like uh, broadcast news. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. meet me at the
3: place with the thing at the time, whatever that line is. Give Dominic your addresses. I got some remaindered furniture I want to send you.
1: Steve, have you ever gotten remaindered furniture? What does that mean?
3: remaindered furniture is that yeah, what remember he, calls he
1: says it? yeah he calls it remaindered furniture what is that
0: i am i don't know <laughs> I, can, I have i have a bullshit answer but i don't know that it's right i was like maybe it's like you've sold the hotel and yeah. you're moving all the furniture yeah are you looking it up yeah what is remaindered
1: furniture something left over after other parts have been taken away interesting right. <laughs> interesting nice symbolism there i like that Um. I had never looked that up before. I just thought it was just like, you know, an estate sale or something. But
0: it's hilarious.
3: Look, just out of curiosity, which casinos did Eugenius's pick to rob?
0: And they say the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand.
3: Those are Terry Benedict's casinos.
0: By the way, Steve, you mentioned how they're working a con on those kids. I
1: think uh, Clooney and Pitt, Danny and uh, Rusty are working a con on everybody. Uh, Absolutely. They knew Ruben was going to say no. They knew Ruben wouldn't initially be a part of it. So they didn't mention the casinos at all. Just mentioned they were going to do it. Right. And so, you know, and, and it's great because Soderbergh, by the way, I was noticing how Soderbergh used the camera in this movie. And it's really, really well done. Um, framing that Elliot is still sitting at the table, mm-hmm. way in the back behind them as he's done. And then says, out of curiosity, which one's blah, blah, blah. And, he, and, and you have Rusty tell... Um, uh, Danny the casinos that's brilliant because then it seems like it wasn't 100% yeah. Danny's idea right and they were just kind of coming up with it right and so then Danny says blah 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 and then Ruben comes into frame with his you know his his size comes into frame and then you have the three of them perfectly framed having this back and forth about uh, Terry Benedict and what he'll do to you if he, if
0: he catches yeah. you stealing his money it's just really well framed man well, and we know, we get
3: from this, that Ruben is not a fan of Terry Benedict. No, he isn't. He better not know you're involved, not know your names or think you're dead because he'll kill you. And then he'll go to work on you.
1: Real quick, I love the back and forth here about Terry Benedict. Uh, I love that he's like, he used to be a thing in the past where you a guy would mess with you, you'd whack him and that'd be that. But this guy, he goes, he destroys your family, destroys everybody you ever knew. Like So already you're building up this uh, Terry Benedict uh, character just from the conversations they're having, which I think is brilliant. And, you know, this is a time when Andy Garcia is no longer kind of on the shine from The Untouchables, right? It's been 12 years since The Untouchables. Yeah. So he's kind of kind of floating in and out of projects. He's not a, a lead necessarily anymore or a big star necessarily. So it was nice to see him come up and be the villain in this movie. Uh, even though he doesn't get the last
0: laugh, it's still nice to see him be a part of this. He, and he is a great he does a great job.
2: That's why we had to be very careful, very precise, mm. well-funded.
0: Which means, of course, they didn't give up on this when they were no. getting up saying, of course they didn't. And what's funny is, and this is part of, I, I, I'm going to keep trying to express this of why I think screenwriting and the con is so important, is that Ruben knows that they're playing him. Yes. But that's okay. Because what the con really is, is I get you to do what what you already want to do. Yeah. There's that great scene in House of Games with Joe Mantegna where he explains the con. He's that they call it a confidence game, not because you give me your confidence. It's because I give you mine. Yeah. Is that I make you want to do something for me. You got to be nuts, too. And you're going to need a crew as nuts as you are. And the camera pushes in. We've all been in one shot all the way since they got up. And he says, who do you got in mind? Which is all we don't need to hear him say, all right, I agree. I will fund the thing. Yeah. He just asked who you got in mind and i want to say one other thing about this something that soderbergh talked about a lot that i found fascinating was the visual rhythm in particular with transitions mm. which he says is that a movie goes stale if you use the same techniques too often yeah. and that you have to keep varying things and he particularly was like how do we get in and out of scene his reasoning of why this is all in one shot isn't just because it's cool all in one shot which it is right it's because he's going to cut from here into a montage with all sorts of little shots so he wanted something long and slow all in one shot so that it'll contrast with the montage we're about to jump into
4: wow
0: see what i mean like yes, that's cool. a really thoughtful thing very smart guy man is a director yeah <laughs> by the way one things matt damon said like you have these big i mean there's a lot of movie stars in this movie oh yeah and he says that all the only people anyone wanted to talk to were Elliot Gould and Carl Reiner. Of course, like stories for days, dude. They, they just kept going like, tell us, more, tell us more, tell us more, you know. Um, uh, And then we go into, it's the classic montage. It's the getting the band together kind of thing. And the first one we hear is, is we cut to Bernie Mac who's coughing and we
2: hear, Maxie has developed a bad case of bronchitis and is putting in for a transfer to warmer climates. And we see him pulling in Vegas. <laughs> I love how Bernie's just like. Oh. What about drivers? I talked to the Molloy's yesterday. The Mormon twins? Mm. They're both in Salt Lake City, six months off the job. I got the sense they're having trouble filling the hours. And then we cut to a shot that I can't tell you how perfectly
0: set up this shot is, which is this green monster truck pulls into frame <laughs> and i don't think when i first saw it i went that's a toy right because of where the camera is placed and then you're kind of looking up and a real green monster truck pulls up next to it and we realize that it's a toy and uh, we get scott con and casey affleck
4: waiting sweetheart just waiting good go waiting for you Relax. go little girl you're like a little girl let's do this what all day don't ma- i'm gonna get, get, get out of the car and i'm gonna drop you like third period french okay
0: would you like to know who was originally going to play the Malloy brothers? Oh, please. I would love to know. Luke and Owen Wilson. Oh, that makes so much sense. Jesus yeah.
1: Christ. That makes so much sense.
0: Um, but then the, because of the schedule, it, this came up against Royal Tannenbaum. So they had to drop out. Yeah. And then, and this sounds totally bizarre. The next people they considered. Yeah. Joel and Ethan Cohen, <laughs> <laughs> Which I've never seen them act of you.
1: <laughs> I can't say that I have. But it's not out of their own possibility because they put Sam Raimi in Miller's Crossing. So that's true. Having the, you know, them show up in a Soderbergh film, that would be very interesting because they all came up in around at around the same time, right? In the early nineties in the independent film movement, they all got famous around the same time. So I'm sure they knew each other. That'd be fun to see Joel and Ethan go
0: and play this character, but characters, but I think they made the right choice. Well, and it's funny because I could totally see Luke and Owen Wilson. Oh, it yeah. would and you could hear the bickering and they and they would improvise all sorts of fun stuff. And it would be totally different. There's something so unique about the chemistry with Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck. Right. I don't even know what the fuck they say. I mean, I'm like, I just not even. I just hear their voices going, blah 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 blah, arguing with each other, and it doesn't really matter, you know. You don't have a brother, do you, Steve? I do not. This is this you're is my is brother sh- from another mother. Okay, Steve. fair enough.
1: Fair enough. Yes, you know. But this this is the shit you do. This is the stupid shit you get into when you're in the car by yourself. I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you or you, you 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 know you kind of challenge each other's masculinity and shit. It is the dumb thing about our gender that we do for sure and it happens
0: all the time and these two guys really dial into it in a funny funny way throughout the movie. They they really do and it's Scott Con's in the big truck Casey Affleck has the remote control for the car. We see, oh, they're going to race, which already is kind of a fun setup. Yes. And they go and you're going, man, that toy car is doing really well. And then he swerves the big truck over and crushes the toy truck. And the reaction on Casey Affleck's face is just great. And and Khan's uh, (laughs) uh, cackling laugh is a perfect cherry on top of that. Yep. Uh, Next, we're going to find our electronics guy, Livingston Dell. Uh, And this is Eddie Jemison. I feel like this would be a perfect role for Shannon McClung. I think McClung would knock this out of the park for oh. sure. First of all, he totally would. Yeah. Second of all, now I'm going, all right, how do we cast all our friends in Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> I mean, obviously Vogel's playing Clooney. <sighs> Why? Well, wait, 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 what's this obvious stuff?
1: Well, Maybe, maybe
0: you're right. Maybe you're right. I'm, I'm not saying I like it. <sighs> all right, fine. But if there's a ringleader for our group of friends, yeah, that's yeah. who it is. Fair enough. And I love that we oh, see no. him. I'm Clooney. He's rusty because I would totally pull a, a, a
1: heist to get a girl back. That is total. That is a hundred percent true. Clooney, uh, I mean, Vogel would never do that. Vogel would not do that. That's he would true. think it's ridiculous, and he would have me followed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he would totally have me follow the son of a bitch. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I think I'm either Elliot Gould or Carl Reiner. <laughs> I would love you as Carl Reiner. I, I want to be Carl. Great. I think I'll be Carl Reiner, like a baby Gould. <laughs> Jesus. Um, There's some truth there. All right. so But anyway, we digress. I love that you see Livingston get tied up in like a a leash. And then we zoom back to reveal Brad Pitt and George Clooney talking. And the next thing we hear is about the munitions guy. And we mentioned Phil. (laughs) Let's stop right here. I want to stop right here, Steve. Yes. That's a conversation.
1: That's the conversation. I think the way he shoots that from above That's Mm -hmm. exactly how you see Cindy Williams and Frederick Forrest have that conversation on the bench. Mm. It's from above, from a way that uh, uh, Hackman is listening to. Mm. He's a tech guy. This is a tech
0: guy. I think there's a little bit of an allusion to that in this shot. I never thought about it. Am I off? Am I wrong? No, I think you're totally right. What's funny is when you said that's a conversation, I was thinking the word conversation. took me a second oh. to realize you're talking about the Francis Ford Coppola film, the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're totally right. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was referencing that. This is just a great little bit of dialogue between these two guys.
2: Munitions. Phil Turrentine. Dead. No shit. On a job? Skin cancer. He sent flowers. dated his wife for a while. I think that's a Sinatra
1: reference. Oh, really? Because when Humphrey Bogart died, he dated Lauren McCall for a little bit. Oh, really? And it it didn't really work out because they were just too much friends that they couldn't be in a relationship. And Lauren McCall was not willing to be with someone who needed to be in the spotlight more than her. Yeah. So it just didn't work out. But Sinatra, to help Lauren McCall get over the the loss of Bogart, dated her. They were friends. People don't talk about the fact that Sinatra, Bogart, and and Bacall were really good friends for a long time in hollywood and so i wonder if this is a
0: little bit of a reference to sinatra and what he did with bogart the pairing of the lines you send flowers dated his wife for a while yeah <laughs> i thought it's just brilliant to put because there's just it's a perfect it's not a non-sequitur right right, right. <laughs> then this doesn't actually make sense but works great which he says basher's in town but there might be an issue with availability hmm. and we cut to blowing up this safe and we have don Cheadle. Which it was written as British, and then when they hired Don Cheadle, they rewrote it to be American, and then he they, he decided I want to do it as British anyway. <sighs> I wish he hadn't. Yeah, it's not accent. it's not Dick Van Dyke level of bad accent. Right, it's, it's not great. Yeah, which is too bad because he's such a great actor. He does a good job with this role. Even yeah,
1: you almost you almost can look past the accent because he's so good in the role.
0: They blow the safe. He does, and I love the way it blows with each like thing going around the big round safe. And then as soon as he walks in, the alarm goes off and we see him getting arrested. Yeah. One of the bank
1: robbers is Soderbergh. He's the guy that's taken off his skull cap. That's Soderbergh in there. Nice.
0: This is why this doesn't make sense is that we've said Basher's in town, but there might be an issue with availability, which I think is referring to that he could be in jail. Yeah. Except that that hasn't happened yet because now we have the scene with him blowing up the safe where Brad Pitt shows up to him being arrested. (laughs) So how did you know he would have a problem with availability if yeah. you, yeah, but he, he's getting arrested. Brad Sh- Pitt shows up as a ATF guy and says, you search this scumbag, movie traps on this person. I mean, really search uh, just for weapons. And he starts searching him and obviously slips him something. Yeah. Go find Greg's him I need to see. Him. Oh, just find him. Will you again? Perfect. Con stuff. Come in with a lot of confidence. Yeah. Don't answer questions. it will be nice working with proper villains again. And then there's an explosion.
4: Everybody down!
1: Get it! They run off like like little children. They yep. run off like little children. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: great. Let's go to a Cirque du Soleil show. Hey! Uh, now Brad Pitt's drinking a soda. <laughs> You've seen a Cirque du Soleil show? Yes. I, it's funny. I, I've seen them too many of them now and they don't because oh. yeah, they yeah, kind of did. repeat yeah. to some
2: degree, but they are amazing. They are. Which one's the amazing yen? The little Chinese guy. Who else is on the list? He is the list. And he climbs the pole,
0: and then he does a backflip from one pole to the other and catches himself. (laughs) And I love the reaction of Clooney. (laughs) We got a grease, man. We got a grease, man.
1: Yeah, because he was skeptical until he saw the move, and then he was like, oh, okay, yes.
0: And this is Xiaobo Qin Mm -hmm. as the amazing Yen. His entire film career is Oceans 11, 12, and 13. <laughs> and now we're walking out of the Big Top. This Big Top was set up at the parking lot of the dog races where they shot the scenes with Carl Reiner. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's just always interesting to me how they work this stuff out. Yeah. And now I think Brad Pitt's eating cotton candy. Might be popcorn, but oh, <laughs> these are important things to keep track of.
2: We need Saul. Saul. He won't do it. Got out of the game a year ago. Get religion. Also.
0: Cut to the dog races in Carl Reiner. He was cast less than a week before they started shooting. Such a pro, man. Jesus Christ. He's so fucking natural in this role, dude. He is great. Yeah. It's so funny thinking about that he wanted to be more of an actor. Yeah. You know, like he played the lead in the Dick Van Dyke show when it was head of the house before in in the first pilot. um but he's just not a lead actor you know no but man he's good Mm. and one of the reasons he got cast is remember the first movie i told you jerry weintraub produced is oh god yeah directed by carl reiner right that's the the, so they knew each other oh that's great and now uh brad pitt's eating maybe it's sherbert or some fruit or something (laughs) i love what you get about who saul is based on the way they interact yeah we never say that this guy was their mentor. We never say that he ran tons of big cons back in the day. We don't say any of that. Yeah. But you get that that's the reality.
4: I saw you at the paddock before the second race outside the men's room when I placed my bet. I saw you before you even got up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> this is smart. I mean, look, there's a lot of
1: 70s references in this movie. He's peeling an orange. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could go Godfather on that route. Sure. But also there's a symbolism of him peeling the orange cause he's peeling the layers back and you're, mm. you know, he's getting to, I like it. Yeah. And, and so you're getting to the core of it, of what's happening. because it's all, you know, like a cover, it's all a cover for what, for the treasure that's inside. And so it's just smart. It's so smart. And the fact that he never looks at him, that's just, that's a power move as well. Steve Yep. rusty stays behind him. Saul talks to him without looking back. And mm-hmm. it is until rusty sits down that they had they look at each other. And he, you know, tells Rusty, stop fucking around with me. Tell me what's really going on here. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it's great. Uh, it, well, and I think what's what, what they established too with the ulcer and with, mm. is that one of the keys of this movie is, is Saul going to be up to it? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And they're building this tension way back, way back as you first meet
4: him.
1: Yeah. They revisit it multiple times throughout the movie. That's a good point, Steve. Yeah. Saul, you're the best there
0: is. You're in Cooperstown. That's a great compliment. Yeah.
4: i got a duplex now. I got wall to wall and a goldfish. I'm seeing a nice lady who works the unmentionables counter at Macy's. I've changed. <laughs> so
0: classy, man. The unmentionables counter. I love it.
4: <laughs> so, so we're at
0: the dog races, which I've been to a dog race once. Oh, okay. That's never... weird.
4: Yeah, I bet. Kind of,
0: It's strange. Yeah. Watching a bunch of skinny dogs that are unbelievably fast chase a mechanical rabbit around a track. That's a weird thing. I just think about the Looney Tunes cartoon that where with
1: Bugs Bunny and the dog race, which is hilarious.
0: Of course. I just think about Santa's little helper. Oh, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Um, So they have, you know, dog trainers. And Soderbergh had a conversation with the trainer about which dog he wanted to win and which dog he wanted to lose and how he wanted the race to be. And the guy misunderstood him and took the dog that Saul had bet on and had him win. (laughs) So then they had to digitally do cgi to create a losing dog wow yeah that's so weird okay
1: rather Um, than run the race again we'll just i feel like running the race would be cheaper
0: than the digital alteration but what do i know i don't yeah i I don't know i mean well you you know do running the race you got a ton of extras you got you know you got a lot of stuff going on so are you gonna treat me like a grown-up at least tell me what the scam is and Rusty leans in and whispers something in his ear, which we don't hear. Yeah. And then he gets up and leaves. And of course, Saul's dog has lost, and he drops his ticket, and then feels his ulcer hit. <laughs> um, such an old man moment. Such a oh, totally. Moment. Reiner's Jewish too, right? Of course. So you have
1: two separate old Jews. Two separate old Jews approaching this from two completely different places, and each one as cool as the other. And probably both as wealthy as the – well, I imagine uh, Reuben is a little wealthier since he can fund this whole thing.
0: But, you know, Saul is fine. Sol I thought will. you were saying whether or not Elliot Gould or Carl Reiner were wealthier or not. No. That's a great I question. I don't know. Yeah, um, Reuben, of course Reuben is wealthier. The, Carl has a, a duplex with wall to wall. Yeah, <laughs> Reuben is rich.
1: But it may also be because Carl doesn't or um, Saul doesn't want to attract attention to himself.
0: So he, keep, he lives it chill. You know, it's funny. Too, well, it's funny. I was just thinking because you said, yes, they are two Jews and they are of different eras because mm-hmm. Carl Reiner is a came, you know, World War Two era came up in the 50s and 60s. Right. And Elliot Gould is a came up in the late 60s and 70s. Yeah. Those are totally different things. You're Right. And yet they are also two both old Jews. I don't, one of the things I hear uh, Mark Marin has said many times is like. As we Jews get older, do we just all become more Jewish? Is that what's gonna is that gonna happen to me like next in the next five years or so? Saw, oh, please, Maren, it's already happened to Marin like five years ago, not five years in the future. Going hello and welcome once again to the Cinephiles. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> what do we guys? yeah? I'll start to work more Yiddish into the show, please, you know. Please do. I would love it. I That's wish fun. I could. I don't really have that gear that much. I don't know if I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm not Jewy enough for you. I don't know. I I know. I'm sure there's Yiddish for dummies. I'm sure that's out there somewhere. (laughs) Well, I mean, schmuck always goes a long way. It does. It does. Yiddish for schmucks. As as Reuben says later to Saul, yeah.
2: Saul makes 10. 10 ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. What I love. Brad Pitt doesn't say a word. Yeah.
0: And it's that they're reading each other's minds and he's looking at Brad Pitt and goes, okay, we cut to some trains. We're on, on the elevated in Chicago and we see Matt Damon in the car. Yeah. Want to know who the first two people cast in this role were? Ooh. Johnny Depp. Oh yeah. Ooh, interesting. Okay. And then he couldn't drew it and dropped out. And then they, uh, they had Mark Wahlberg. Oh, wow. And what's so funny. All three of those are different yeah i mean I, Wahlberg is not a bad choice well if you did Wahlberg, it would be more tough street ish yes right you're right you have johnny depp it would be more reserved be more flamboyant It'd more, more flamboyant yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah more more unusual yes and whereas matt damon is more just the hungry young guy yeah basically he read the script and heard S- soderbergh was attached he's like i'll do anything yeah you know whatever we're in the train and we see him pick a guy's pocket and apparently, and it's sort of like the train bounces and that's when he does it. Mm -hmm. And apparently Matt Damon did it so quickly that they couldn't really see it. (laughs) And so they, they slowed, they slowed it down and did this sort of step down slow down effect in order to be able to actually see his hand go and pick the pocket exiting the train. Danny is following him bumps into him. Yeah. And of course we know what's happened. Damon checks his pocket. The wallet he stole is gone. But there is a card from Danny Ocean that says "Nice pull" and gives a bar's name. Hello, minus.
4: Who are you?
0: Friend of Bobby Caldwell's. And then, man, can you imagine if someone came to you and said this? You're either in or you're out right now.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And he and he puts a plane ticket on the table. You know, you're pretty trusting, pretty fast. Well, Bobby has a lot of faith in you. Fathers are like that. And I love that that this guy told him about his son, but didn't tell him it was his son. Right.
2: They don't want me trading on his name. If you do this job, you'll be trading on yours. If you don't, we'll find somebody else who won't be quite as good. And you can go back to feeling up stockbrokers. Can you get the check?
0: And I love that then Clooney looks down to where the ticket was on the table, and it's gone. That's the best lift I've seen you make yet.
2: Las Vegas, huh? America's playground.
0: And then... We don't hear Viva Las Vegas. We hear a song that I like much more, which is A Little Less Conversation, A Little More yeah, Action. Well was action. Absolutely. Great, great song as we fly in over Vegas, pull up to a fancy house. This fancy house, by the way, was not in Vegas, it's Palm Springs. <laughs> which also makes me think of Sinatra because he's a Palm yeah. Springs guy. Yep, absolutely. And apparently, by the way, a bunch of these guys did all take this cab together to get to set. Oh, that's brilliant. And we have Carl Reiner talking to Scott Kahn, who says,
4: Saul, do you uh, make it out to Utah much? Not as often as I'd like. I think you should check it out. I think you'd dig Provo. I think you could do very well there. I'm looking for it.
1: I love that uh, Saul immediately greets them Would you guys get a group rate? <laughs> so, so immediately asserting uh, alpha control there in that yep. situation. And then, yeah, you get the back and forth, and then Clooney shows up.
0: So apparently... It used to go right into the speech. We skipped oh. all of this. Wow. And they added this because they went, you know what, people really love the characters. It's not just about the plot. Like, we need to spend more time just with these guys.
2: All right, before we get started, nobody's on the line here yet. What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. Now, that doesn't seem like your particular brand of vodka. Help yourself to as much food as you like and have a safe journey, no hard feelings. Otherwise, come with me. I wonder if... Your particular
0: brand of vodka is a Clooney line.
1: Mm. Interesting.
0: I don't know why I think that, but it just you know what, what, what how would you describe? I don't know even how to ask this question. Yeah. Clooney's style of acting, particularly in this movie, yeah, is so late. What is it? It's so laid back to me.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a confidence uh yeah. to it. And he's because in a way, not only are they conning people in the movie, they're conning us. Oh yeah, confidence to it because then they reveal you know that he's going after Tess and they like we're getting into the areas where, where Clooney starts getting revealed. and Then you realize at the end that was all a con. So right. it's like, wow, you son of a bitch. So it's brilliantly done. Uh, but I think yeah, he's he's just so confident and cool, yet approachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have that combo, and Clooney's a rarity, bro. Clooney's such a rarity when it comes to actors and lead actors who play roles like this, and. He is just so confidently cool that you just... That's what I sense, right? When I'm watching um, uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, the remake, Pierce Brosnan is so cool in that movie, mm-hmm. just has that effortlessness. And I think they talk about it in 30 Rock, what Tina Fey mentions is the bubble. Some right. good-looking dudes, really everything just works out for them. And they live in the bubble because they have no concept of what it's like to actually struggle, you know, or to 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 worry about anything. And they're just so cool plus the people they cast in the film at the time are kind of below Clooney in terms of status in Hollywood so it's easier for him to be the leader and be the cool guy in the room because they're all playing characters that are less cool um, overall so I I think it just all works so perfectly well and don't be deceived this is very difficult to pull off some people think because someone looks really comfortable on screen that they that it's effortless and
0: and it's completely not true Um, it takes a lot of work and Clooney certainly does that so two things. One is I want to talk about Clooney, and then I have maybe a story I'll tell. Yeah. Uh, the Clooney thing, I a hundred percent agree. And what I find interesting about Clooney is that he is clearly has full movie star power. Yes, you know of just can walk out there and be movie star guy, but he also can do some good character work. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which most movie star type people couldn't do. Oh brother, where art thou? Mm-hmm. You know. Like that's a guy totally willing to be ridiculous, yeah, that's the first thing, and I agree with you is and, uh, you know you could talk much more about it than me, but stripping down your performance mm-hmm. and just being natural that's the hardest thing in the world, yeah, and too many directors and too many voiceover directors
1: default to just throw it away that's bullshit, there's no such thing. You have to um believe in the truth of the character, then from there you can start stripping away, but it takes. A, a, a lot of effort to kind of get there, to be that relaxed on camera. Now, Pitt's the anomaly, because from numerous reports I've heard, Pitt could be laughing and mm-hmm. had telling a great joke, and then they go action, and he completely becomes a whole other person. So there are some people who are built that way. Elizabeth Moss is apparently that way. I've heard that mm. from a number of people, wow. um, that she has the ability to just turn on a dime and become the character and immediately grasp the emotion of the scene. And it's just you know those are
0: rarities and they are fantastic actors. Um, by the way, Elizabeth Moss' TV batting average oh, yeah. is real. Like, okay, you did The West Wing, then you did Mad Men, and then you did Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah, man. Handmaid's Tale. That's a yeah, good, that's a good record. And apparently, um, this new one on Apple TV is fantastic as well. Oh, really? Shining Girls, which I haven't seen. And so it looks like everyone agrees. Everyone's going to head in to hear what the job is, except. <laughs> Matt Damon, Linus, who is sitting outside looking a little scared, and who comes up to him but
3: Elliot Gould. You're Bobby Caldwell's kid, huh? From Chicago? Yeah. It's nice there. Do you like it? Yeah. And I love the
0: way he delivers this line. Mm. It's so beautiful. He says, That's wonderful. Get
3: in the goddamn house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting. Do you think they, like, they knew that they, like, Matt Damon was at a certain level, right? Yes. Um, And so they realized, hey, he's at this level. Let's give him moments to shine because we're already at that level that he's trying to get to. So let's give him little moments in the script to kind of stand out. And certainly this moment, because, I mean, he's the last one they recruit. Yep. They have a distinct change in the um, film style when they go get him with the kind of uh, jerky slow motion, yeah. and whatever. And, and that music, which they do in the third one as well, the kind of, of doing homage to the Jason Bourne movies. And then this moment here with, with uh, him and um, Ruben, you know, you got, you got old Hollywood and young Hollywood
0: coming together in that moment in the back and forth. So I love that. I totally agree. And I think, it, I think you're a hundred percent right. It's like, this is the perfect moment for Matt Damon for this, because it, mm-hmm. 97 is Goodwill Hunting. Yes. This is maybe a year or
1: two after because 2001 is when it came out, but 2000 is probably when it was being shot. But it's a uh,
0: uh, Ripley is 99. So right. he's just like kind of. He's the step- up and coming guy, and Born Identity is 2002. Right. So right. it's like by 2002, he is one of these guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the fact that his character reflects that mm-hmm. is just, I think it's super cool. Yeah. Um, and needless to say, he goes in mm-hmm. and now we get the layout of the speech. And, th- and this, by the way, is the key scene where I went. I wish I watched this before the assistants because yeah, right. it's so hard to film the one person talking and a bunch of people watching because I know I've talked to before, it's very technical, but this idea of the 180 degree rule or the line, mm-hmm. which is order to make sure that you, it looks like people are looking at each other, it's very specific where you can put the camera. And with two yeah. people, it's pretty easy. It's like you picture a, a theater, and as long as you're on one side of the curtain, yeah, everything's cool. But if the camera suddenly moves behind the actors, then suddenly the people who are on the left looking right are now on the right looking left, and the reverse happens. Right. Every actor you add adds another line. And every place that somebody looks adds another line. So with eleven people and a TV screen, there's like a ton of lines. And if you put the camera, it might be perfect for these two, but wrong for those two. And now Clooney will look like he's looking the wrong way. And and Soderbergh does an amazing job. Yeah. And check out how he set the scene up, because I think you'll really like this. Is that he didn't say, "All right, Brad, you go there. Matt, you sit there. Elliot, you go over there." Yeah. He said. Everyone go over and sit where you think you would. <laughs> nice. Take a little ownership of your character. Yeah. He does this throughout the movie. That's great. And and what's so, but what's hard about that is then then he can't figure out exactly how he's gonna shoot the scene. Right, how to set the cameras and all that. Yeah. Until okay. everyone sits down. Yeah. You know? And so but it's all it's so natural every, where everybody is. Yeah. Well, and and this is why
1: you got to cast correctly. And of course, you know, you know that from, um, from, you know, many conversations I'm sure with Karen and Karen, if she's listening, would know that as well. You know, you want to cast people who understand the pecking order in an ensemble. It's really important. And so when you're seeing that the, them all naturally move into a spot, you got to have giving gracious, understanding actors, not egotistical um jerk actors because then they'll mess up the natural chemistry of things if you've got this many people you're relying on so you know you've got a great mix of the kind of up-and-comers and scott con and casey affleck and mm-hmm. a little bit matt damon who's a little farther ahead than those guys uh you've got the veterans and carl reiner you got people who like the the asian gentleman uh, he's basic i think this is only movies so yeah you've got the great mix of all of those people plus the nerdy guy so and Bernie and Bernie doesn't need to draw attention. He's very successful as a comedian. He doesn't need to be trying to make, be successful and get the spotlight as an actor. So he's you know everyone's got their thing that they that they do well. So naturally, they're going to sit in places that their character um, connects to because, in essence, these characters are an extension of who they are at this point in their lives, and so it works really well to let them kind of naturally go there. And Soderbergh's very brilliant. To trust these casts, those kinds of actors that can take ownership of it and understand their place in the pecking
0: order. 100% agree. And we should say that the casting director is Deborah Zane, obviously does an unbelievable job on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, too, like, in a way, it's similar. Like, there's movies like The Dirty Dozen. But in The Dirty Dozen, we don't get to know the whole dozen. No, no, no. Here, every one of these characters are going to stand out. And there's you know. no Cassavetes here,
1: you know, who's <laughs> like needing to get to the spotlight. Whatever. Yeah. So there's a difference. You know, Damon
0: is on the cusp. He's the closest thing to a kind of a Cassavetes you would have in the cast. And, and here's where we're going to get the rundown. And I will give you the rundown fairly quickly, which is that it's three casinos. They all feed one vault below, 200 feet below the Bellagio. And they go
2: through all of the security you have to get past, which is... First, we have to get within the casino cages, which anybody will tell you takes more than a smile. Next, through these doors, each of which requires a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours. Past those lies the elevator. This is where it gets tricky. The elevator won't move without authorized fingerprint identification. Which we can't fake. And vocal confirmation from both the security system within the Bellagio and the vault below. Which we won't get.
0: And I love, after he runs through this whole thing, and by the way, the video that's playing is timed out. So if Clooney messes up a line or goes too slow, they have to go back and start from the beginning. Oh. and I love that we get to the end of this huge explanation. And he says, Any questions? And the first question is in Chinese from yeah. the amazing yen. Yeah. And I love how they handle this. He, by the way, didn't speak English at all. So no
1: surprise. No yeah.
0: surprise. Yeah. And, and and he asks this question in Chinese, and Brad Pitt replies in English. No tunneling is down. And what's great about that is you go like, I guess Rusty speaks Chinese. Yeah. And they don't subtitle it, which is great. And now we get to the good news, which is that the Nevada Gaming Commission has a rule that you have to have as much cash in the vault as there is being played on the casino floor. Totally not a rule that's not a that's not a true thing at all really (laughs) no No. um yeah because i was watching it this time
1: around. i'm like what that strikes me as interesting really i didn't know that now you're saying it's not true
0: okay no i mean because nobody's nobody's going to cash out they're not going to have to cash out every single dollar in cash at that moment and now of course there's way less cash going around casinos because people don't you know you don't you don't go look okay i won $10,000, which I would love to do hand me $10,000 in cash. Right. That's not what people would do. But what we hear is that on a normal night, that means 60 to 70 million on a weekend. It's 80 to 90 million on a fight night. It's
2: 150 million without breaking a sweat. Now there are 11 of us, each with an equal share.
0: You do the math, which I go, why should it be an equal share? What do you mean? Well, I mean, Clooney and Brad Pitt set this thing up. They figure out the whole plan. (laughs) Jesus Christ. They're all taking a risk of going to jail. It's a,
1: sure. does Clooney go for longer? It's an equal type of thing. And so they're all in on it and to make them, uh, why would you say you're going to make less than me, but I expect you to be a hundred percent good at your job. That's ridiculous. You have well, to, everyone has to uh, feel like they're going to get the maximum amount they're allowed in an equal share. And they all, so that way they all feel that they're as important as the next person uh in the team so the whole team can show up and do a great job what are
0: you goddamn communist <laughs> no because that's not <laughs> communism at all um i i think i lo- I, I understand what you're saying i think yeah. it's very nice but i think there's a big difference between matt damon who has zero experience and i think in general in businesses there's usually a hierarchy where some people make more money than other people sure in a business sure well, this is a business. Well, no, this isn't a business. They're committing a robbery.
1: They're not a company. They're not incorporated, as Brad okay. Pitt rejects earlier in the movie. This is very much them just coming together as a crew. Look at Reservoir Dogs. They're all equal share. I uh, was just driving the getaway car. He was going to get an equal amount. Is it all equal
0: share in revenue Yes, dogs? I it's don't all remember. equal shares.
1: All right. Okay. You go. I tell you what. Do me a favor. Go get ten people. Go and try commit it and try to short the the tenth guy. And and give him less for being part of the robbery. We'll see if he shows up uh, in the getaway car or not.
0: I'm telling you. How do you know I haven't already done this? Where do you think my vast fortunes come from? (laughs) Well, first of
3: all.
0: (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I'm just saying there's there's
1: a right way and a wrong way to do things, and when you're dealing with criminals, the last thing you want to do is even if they're smooth and good-looking criminals, the last thing you want to do is short them or make them feel like. All right, I will.
0: I I will defer to your much greater criminal expertise. (laughs) <laughs> we'll move on to the to the next question, which comes from Saul, and it's so beautifully delivered.
4: He says, "I have a question. Mm-hmm. Say we get into the cage and and through the security doors there, and down the elevator we can't move, and past the guards with the guns, and into the vault we can't open.
1: Wait, don't forget
0: the cameras. Don't, yeah, don't forget the. Oh yes, yeah, I forgot to mention that.
4: Yeah, well, say we do all that." Uh, we're just supposed to walk out of there with a hundred and fifty million dollars in cash on us without getting stopped. And there's pause. And Clooney's delivery is
0: so perfect because yeah. it's so simple. He just goes, "Yeah."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, Carl Reiner takes it so well because he doesn't contradict him. He doesn't start a disagreement. Just goes, "Oh, okay." And and it's because. Clooney conveys that confidence um,
0: Danny conveys that confidence that it keeps Sol um, confident in the caper and then what they do is this great thing which is that we are now describing what happens has to happen in the future Yeah, as we start to see it happening Yeah, you know which is we're going out to do it and the, the first thing we're going to see is reconnaissance which is they want to know every way in and out of those casinos and I love that he describes the casinos as labyrinths and it's like it's totally true I am sure you've had this experience of like how the fuck do I get out of here? Oh yeah.
1: I'm kidding. Uh, in the 4 days I was at Caesars, bro, I got lost at least 5 or 6 times. Uh, Caesars is nuts. It's massive and yeah. there are so many different towers. Yeah. And you think something looks recognizable that you passed, so you think, "Oh, this is where I take the right turn." And next thing you know, you're completely in the wrong place. Yeah. And they actually have street signs in caesars to let you know where everything is but you got to find the street signs um and it takes a bit so it's
0: massive so yeah you're right steve i mean you can get lost in those places well to be real clear that's all on purpose they don't want you to find your way out of the yeah that's a good point yeah they want you to (laughs) they want you to stay and play yeah exactly Uh, maybe one more set of slots maybe one more bet you know
1: that's that's why the wi-fi sucks in the hotel room you always and always bring an ethernet cord ladies and gentlemen always i discovered that on my third day In Vegas, and it fucked my channel up because I could have been doing videos every Uh. night. Uh, So just letting you all know if you're listening, if you go to Vegas and you need to have internet connection, bring an ethernet cord. And I'd suggest a
0: 25-footer so you make sure you can go anywhere in the hotel – or in the room, rather, with it. So. This is a pro tip from the outlaw friends. Listen yeah. to it. Listen. Uh, <laughs> um, and the first thing we hear is that we want to find everything out of, about the guards. And what we see is yeah. Bernie Mac sitting in some sort of a break room and he's taken down. He looks like he's doing a crossword puzzle, but in fact, he's taking notes on what these guards are talking about. And one of the things he writes down is Crazy Horse, which, by the way, is a well-known strip club in Vegas. Let me um, ask you a question, because we do we talk about Deborah
1: Zane and the great casting that she did. Also, these smaller characters are great cast. I don't know how much Deborah was involved in the smaller characters. Usually, they'll hand those off to associate uh, casting directors. But I thought th- the way they cast all the smaller characters or small terms of roles throughout the movie were great. This guy is like, yeah, you know, she's my... F- her name is Sharman uh, or Charman or whatever her name Or Charman, whatever her name is. And yeah, she dances over the crazy. Horse. Just the whole demeanor yep. of this dude is so perfect that when Bernie's listening, you can. To- you've totally known this guy. You've totally worked with this guy. So when the thing happens of him take or her taking the key from him, um, it's believable because the dude is caught up in her feminine wiles uh, and thinks that she has some extra feeling for him that she doesn't have for any other customer. It's great.
0: Well, and and I know you've been through this many many times. I'm sure is they're going to call in fifty guys, yes. or more, right, yeah, to do this one line, and then an actor like you has to walk, get the line, prep it. Go drive across town, yeah. Yeah. sit in a room for however long. Yep. And then walk in and try to deliver one line one to line. get a part. And that's why I'm very happy I don't do it any fucking more. That is brutal. <laughs> um, and then we go, our next thing is power. And so we're talking to Don Cheadle, basher, and that we want to throw the switch on Sin City. And he says, You want broke, blind, a bedlam? About all three. Next, we need surveillance. And we know that this casino has secured on everything. And this is now our our tech guy's job. This is Livingston.
4: Well, it's not the least accessible system I've seen, but it's close.
0: There are two technicians and one of them is into a stripper. And that, of course, is the guy we saw before. And so now we're off to the crazy horse where we see a stripper with this guy and she swipes his card. And then we cut to Brad Pitt now with a lollipop. Yeah. And it's, a, again, it is a, it's like this, what you said before, 30-second scene, 20-second scene, yeah. and a totally memorable character, because he says, Thanks, so, Army.
2: I'll have this back in an hour. Die to your mom for me.
0: Say it yourself.
1: You should be on stage in five minutes.
0: And there's a little take. <laughs> That's a complete
1: bit, you know? Yeah, it's great. And Pitt, without saying a word, says so much in that
0: yeah. little reaction to it all, yeah. Um, and we see that he's got a big bunch of balloons as his convertible, and we follow the balloons into the casino, and there are all these dissolves as we follow the balloons, and then we, the balloon guy bumps into another guy, which of course is Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn, and the balloons float up to the ceiling and perfectly block one of the security cameras. Yeah, so good. I love watching a well-executed plan. Mm. It, there's something so thrilling about the whole thing. Yeah. And now we see a split screen, and we see because we see what's going on with the balloon and security, and we see Livingston, who has the card that got from the guy who was seeing the stripper, and he goes into these hallways, and of course they don't see him because the balloons are blocked. Yeah, which is great. And there, and you hear the
1: initial battle between Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck off camera.
4: I'm not Sir. in your face. You Please are in my balloons. me. You got you in my way. I'm trying to deliver my balloons, gentlemen. <laughs> the balloons. Hey, balloon boy. Yeah, balloon
0: boy. And uh, Livingston is now in these hallways. We're going to see these hallways a lot. They're all built on stages at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And he looks down at his hand where he has a map drawn. Which I'm kind of like, man, you're doing a pretty big <laughs> robbery. Maybe don't have the map drawn on your hand. Hey, man, when you're dealing with people who are this kind of, um, I don't know, this close to being on the spectrum, you just let them do whatever however they do it.
1: Because uh, it's a certain level of intelligence for
0: sure. And he ends up in a super cool looking computer room, blue light, lights coming up through the floor. You want to know why lights are coming up through the floor? Why? So as you do when you're doing research is that you get a bunch of photos of different kinds of locations and what a computer yeah. room would look like. So uh, Steven Soderbergh gets a photo of what a computer room would look like. And he's looking at it and he goes, man, this is really cool. It doesn't realize he's looking at the photo upside down is <laughs> that it's the ceiling lights that are those, you know, fluorescent blanks of lights. Yeah. And someone tells him, Oh, that's upside down. And he goes, no, no, I like this. And that's why they build the floor. That's made out of lights which is awesome. That's hilarious. And he's doing something on the cables, hooking up some sort of device while uh, Casey Affleck and Scott Connor are having an argument. Finally finishes and everything comes live, which we know because we see that uh, Rusty and Danny are watching the screens when the screens come up.
2: Why do they always paint hallways that color?
0: They say Taupe is very soothing. And, and this is just a classic dumb thing. Our tech guy Livingston is walking out, walks by a security guard, who says well, how many times have you done the wrong response oh many
1: times <laughs> Me if, too. I'm, if i'm thinking of a, a 25 different things i'll say the wrong thing i don't know how many times i've hung up the phone and said love you or bye baby or something like to a guy
0: because i'm like i've come, come so close to the love you so many times <laughs> yeah. i think i've only actually had it slip out like once <laughs> um but then like that's the how, game <laughs> yeah The like how's it going not much you know yeah, right it's, it's like it's hard to remember which the right one is <laughs> what's up i'm good yeah <laughs> and as he's heading out he's so nervous he looks down at his hand and see that the map has disappeared and we get a quick flash to him wiping his face um oh so good. Do, do you know what i what i thought of when i saw this it's like the the reverse of the staff of raw
2: Uh, (laughs) that's good
0: and and he he realizes you know that he's done something wrong so he tries to head out the guy and now we're going like oh shit yeah this guy's on to him and the guy goes straight to that computer room and he finds something there and he comes after him and now Livingston's almost at the door and he calls out and says hey excuse me and he doesn't stop and now he is rushing to get out the door and finally he stops him and says hey you dropped this and hands him the piece of equipment he left behind and he's probably all nervous and he's nervous but I, i bet
1: that security guy has seen tech guys be all weird and stuff in vegas before so it doesn't even occur to
0: him that it might be odd so to speak but he gets out we get a big sigh from danny and rusty and now we're into and again we're still hearing the narration from that initial meeting because now we're on fourth task which is construction and we see that they're building an exact replica of the vault in the Bellagio and I, this is a great plant because we hear for practice something like that
4: <laughs>
0: I mean that's a because until you've seen the movie maybe more than once yeah. you don't know yeah. what the something like that means right I giving you too much away um, fifth task intelligence
2: we need those codes Linus for yeah. the only guy who has all three But Benedict learn to love his shadow Wait, wait, wait. All I get to do is watch the guy. You gotta walk before you can crawl.
0: Reverse that. Six tasks, transport. Let's get some vans. Yeah. Oh, this is great. This scene is so good. Tell me about this scene. What, what, What
1: is going on here? Well, first of all, you know, you cast someone like Bernie Mac, and you start the movie, in essence, with him after you introduce Clooney. So, clearly, he's already handed to the audience as someone with a certain level of importance. And so, and he hasn't been made he hasn't made himself too much center of attention nope. throughout the movie. He's just been there with the group, hanging out, doing whatever, um, you know, and doing the you know, being Ramon and all of that. So here's the moment where he comes in handy for negotiating the vans, negotiating all of that kind of stuff. So this whole back and forth with this Nevada um, van salesman, I guess, is so great. I mean, this conversation about moisturizer. You are like, where is this going? Like, what the hell is he talking yeah, it's about? So brilliant, and and it's. I don't know if 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 Ted wrote it. Is it Ted Griffin you said wrote it? I don't know if, if um, uh, Ted wrote it or if, if it was born of Bernie's, you yeah. know, uh,
0: sketches. The, I don't know. It's the brilliant. idea comes from Ted, okay. but it's a lot of improvisation, of course, by Bernie. Of by course. Bernie, let
4: him fly. And ideally speaking, we all should wear gloves before going to bed. But I found out that that would be a little interference in my social agenda you know what i mean no. <laughs> yeah. plus i get a reaction from the camphor so i really don't get into the traditional remedies you
0: know and apparently he really was sque- squeezing this guy's hand hard <laughs> soderbergh says they didn't put makeup on his hand like it was yeah, really it was red, red. <laughs> oh man he gets it uh, to drop the prices on the fans so great i could do it for 1600
1: yeah. <laughs> you do that for me
0: no it's, so good. it's so good. Carl reiner is getting uh, a suit fitted oh yeah the guy, one of the guys fitting him who's got a ponytail, that is the costume designer.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. That guy. Nice.
0: This shot was, this scene was totally reshot because Soderbergh didn't like the lighting. Yeah. He and, and, but to, and bear in mind, if he says, I didn't like the lighting, that means he's saying, I didn't like my work. Right. Because he's the guy who lit the set. And what he said about it was that sometimes you just got to let the location be the location. Huh. He thinks he overlit it before. Oh. And it and the lighting took away from looking at just how cool the space is.
1: Yeah, he's kind of nervous. He's breathing a little bit, mm-hmm. and you see Clooney and and uh, Reuben just sitting there on the on the couch, just watching him. It's a really nice couch. And then Clooney gets everybody to leave. So are you sure you're ready to do this? This is a great acting moment from Carl Reiner. Who up until this point we've seen, yeah, he's he's command of his world down there in Florida um but we've seen him ask these questions be kind of nervous the provo utah back and forth he's he's above these guys but here's the moment where you're thinking oh my god is he just like is he is he's old is he going to be able to do it and the response the proud response you get from him is immediately changes your point of view on soul completely
4: if you ever ask me that question again daniel You will not wake up the following morning. He uses his full name.
0: Daniel. This does so many things, which is one, it plants tension around Saul. And is he up for it? Two, you see him bring that strength together. Mm -hmm. And three, you get another piece like, oh, Saul must have been a mentor, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, like what their relationship was, because he calls him Daniel. And you're right, Steve, about the plant. Again, the, the people in the casino and Andy Garcia...
1: Uh, aren't the only ones being played people in the crew are being played in the crew of guys, the 11 and we, as an audience are being played. Cause when later he has the heart attack, we don't know if that's on purpose or initially when you watch first, you wonder if that's something they didn't anticipate. Yeah. Right. Because we saw him being nervous. And then later on we'll see him when Brad Pitt walks in on him and he's got, he's got trouble standing up. So it's
0: all just kind of, they're conning us as well as a, as a movie going audience, which is great. Um, And we hear him say, my name is Lyman Zerga, (laughs) and he repeats it, and each time he repeats it, he gets the accent better.
4: My name is Lyman Zerga.
0: I know you've watched some of your show shows, and one of the things that Carl Reiner and Sid Caesar did back in the day was they both were brilliant at speaking in fake languages so they could make it sound like they were speaking Russian or German or right. Japanese or whatever, even though they, neither of them spoke any of those languages. And Carl is home with his mom one day after the show's premiered and she's just going, oh my, Carl, when did you learn how to speak German so well? Not, not knowing that he's like, no, that wasn't German. I was just making up sounds. Um, and so watching to do the Russian accent here, I think is really fun. Yeah. And he's walking through the casino looking very uh very stylish. And he and I love how they the transitions of going, okay, we're with Saul, we're watching him get dressed, we watch him move into the casino, and then who does he walk by but Matt Damon and Brad Pitt? Yeah. And we move right into the next thing, which is getting Damon's report on Benedict, on Terry Benedict. And now is the first time we see Andy Garcia. Brad Pitt is eating shrimp cocktail which apparently, by the way, you know, because this is all Pitt Brad's idea, and he said, I'd like to eat shrimp cocktail in this scene. And Soderbergh goes, are you sure you want to eat shrimp cocktail? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's multiple
0: because it's all day, you know? I mean, this is a complicated scene that they're doing. Apparently, he ate like 50 shrimp or something. Jesus cocktails. Christ. Yeah. yeah. And poor Damon has to smell that. Ugh. I mean, shrimp cocktail is one of my favorite things. I love shrimp cocktail. I could put away a lot of shrimp cocktail. Yourself. But doing it all day on a hot set, yeah, no, with bright lights and stuff. I don't indoors, know. Maybe. Indoors. Indoors, indoors yeah. Ugh, well, um <laughs> So you're telling me that next time you come over I should not make you shrimp. I do not like fish. I oh. like I don't mind eating it, but I don't like the smell of it, ah. which is why we don't make it in the house. Gotcha. Yeah.
3: This
0: is important. This is important information.
1: Yeah. Like she'll make salmon, but it's in the oven. So it's
0: okay. not out frying on a skillet.
1: I can't have that.
0: I can't, mm. I go crazy. Uh, you know what Karen's family's business was, right? (laughs) Diner, right? Or or before that, so restaurants in California, in New Jersey, they ran fish markets.
1: Oh yeah. Oh right, you've told me
0: this. Yeah, Uh, they had a whole fish closet where they kept the fish clothes. (laughs) Karen's big punishment was to clean out the fish van. no no yeah (laughs) Yeah, brutal uh but but we digress um and what we hear is like he describes him as a machine and one of and so brad pitt said i always want to be eating andy garcia said i always want to be moving Oh, interesting.
1: That makes sense. Yeah.
0: And so we see him going from job to job. We see him that he knows everything that's going on in the casino. We see he speaks multiple languages as he greets all the guests. We see that he's, you know, works the floor. He knows how to talk business. Mm -hmm. We hear nothing goes on that he doesn't know. Uh, And we see most importantly, he gets handed. He's out by 730, gets handed this black portfolio. And that's when he takes the security guard, the
2: security codes. last guy they caught cheating in here, he not only sent him up for 10 years, he had the bank seize his house and then he bankrupted his brother in law's tractor dealership. I yeah, heard he doesn't just take out your knees, mm. the guy goes after your livelihood and the livelihood of anybody you ever met. You scared? You suicidal?
1: <laughs>
2: he comes
0: back at him strong. Yeah, you suicidal? Yeah. Well, and what's so great is they do a great job setting up your bad guy. Yeah, and they do. A, I think Matt Damon, I think it's great of him has the hot young up and coming yeah. star yeah. to be able to play weaker right and nervous
1: well yeah and uh, because this is his first kind of big thing yeah. as you said earlier uh, first big thing so he's going to question all these things and that's why it's great to have Pitt and Clooney there or Danny and Rusty there because they have done a number of times so they'll be able to guide him through it there she is.
0: this is just the best part of my day and in slow motion, there is Julia Roberts in a red dress.
1: I you know, I never had a thing for her. Don't understand people have a thing for her, but the movie makes it seem like she's this gorgeous, incredible woman. Hey, they're all friends with her, so no no problem there. I just this is one of the most unbelievable moments for me, because I never have a thing for her, so I don't I don't buy this moment at all.
0: It's just of her being uh, beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, she's a good actress. Yeah, undoubtedly. I just have never seen the yeah, attract. she's not. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same way you do. Yeah. But I but I think when she is good, she can be really good. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And yeah. she she has moments in this movie. Yeah. Even though the character is severely
1: underwritten, she has moments in this movie that she's able to showcase what she can do without saying a word. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. And especially rewatching it now, there was a lot that stood out for me about her performance that I mm-hmm. kind of initially thought was just kind of throw throwaway performance because she's not really that essential to the overall plot of the movie. But what she's doing in the moments,
0: I noticed this time, there's a lot more going on levels-wise from her. Um, totally. And this is also a reshoot. Mm-hmm. Originally, she came down the stairs in like a gray suit. And Jerry Weintraub, the producer, saw the shot and said, what are you doing? We need the movie star entrance. This has got to be the most gorgeous smart slow man. motion coming down the stairs thing. And so they reshot it. Yeah, smart man. Smart. understands. Yeah. I understand. So, yeah. And what's so great is... We see Linus watching her. You see Brad Pitt react.
4: Still don't know if we can use her yet. Actually, I haven't
2: even caught her name. Tess. Huh? Her name is Tess. So good. So good. So this is
0: 44 minutes in that it took us to introduce both the bad guy and the love interest. Yep. You're saying this is a 2 part, is what you're saying. I'm saying, yes I'm saying that because of that This is a two part episode Um, Listen, you subscribe to the cinephiles for a reason (laughs) It's because you love the beautiful sound Of our voices Hello Um, I just pictured like a a side job for the cinephiles Of just recording little Hey there,
4: how you
1: doing? (laughs) ASMR, that's all it is
0: Tell me this is not about her Oh I am walking
2: I am walking off this job right now
0: Test. this is just a great location because they found a location where they can look out through like the garage door yeah. at the Bellagio and there's beautiful gold light and they're silhouetted and here again, I, I love how Soderbergh approaches all this is he said when he had just the two of them, he didn't want to do a lot of coverage. Yeah. He just wanted to shoot them in one as much as possible because they're so great together. That you don't want to mess any
2: of that up. Tell me this is not about screwing the guy who's screwing your wife. Ex-wife. Tell me. It's not about that. It's not entirely about that.
1: (laughs) Now this is fascinating, right? Because why is this scene in here? Is Rusty telling the truth or is this part of the con for the viewers? Because nobody is watching this interaction between Danny and Rusty. So is this to con us? Is this a bit of a meta moment in the movie where they're conning us to believe because later that Clooney is going to, you know, later Clooney's out because of the Julia Roberts thing, a test thing. Is this a scene to kind of just kind of throw us off the scent or who is this
0: for? Do you think this is also, so it's so just to be clear on what you're asking. Cause I think this is a excellent question. the The question I think you're asking is, is rusty really surprised that tess is part of this job yeah um do you think Rusty hasn't heard that tess is with the benedict that would be odd to me because they know all about benedict obviously yeah and that that, and obviously he knows a lot about tess right and and how tess would have found benedict seems like a thing so i had exactly the same thought i my gut is that they're The movie is trying to pull a little bit of a fast one here.
1: Yeah, right.
0: I don't think the movie wants you to have the thought that you're having. You know what I mean? I think they want you to think that Bre- that Rusty is in fact surprised yes, to see right, right, right. That's what they want you to think, and that the later part is a con. Yes. Um, but I agree with you. It
2: doesn't quite make sense. Okay. Here's the problem. Now we're stealing two things. And when push comes to shove, if you can't have both, what are you going to choose? And remember, Tess does not split 11 ways.
0: <laughs> it's a valid question. I think 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, this is, it really goes into this is where it's a movie. Because the whole thing works. I don't know that this whole thing can work without Tess, the way they've set things up. You know? If everything goes to plan, and I won't be the one that has to make that choice. And then I love the button on the scene. How'd she look? She looked good. Uh, we're back with Tess. She's in kind of a severe outfit. And we're in this scene where we're in this gallery looking at a Picasso. Like, I think it's woman with a guitar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Benedict Ender's. And this used this scene used to have dialogue. And Soderbergh decided to play it all pretty much in silence. Yeah. And all we hear is... You like it. I like that you like it. And we get that they're buying this Picasso, which, by the way, this would be like a $100 million painting. Wow. Because it's a famous... It's not just it's a Picasso, it's a famous Picasso. Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a big one. And she goes up to kiss him, and he stops her, points up to the camera, and says...
4: In my hotel, there's always somebody watching.
0: I love this because it's both an important plant yep. that's going to pay off later, but it also totally shows you something about their relationship. Yeah. You know?
1: But this is also unbelievable, right? I mean... But you know we're having fun, but we do dissect these movies, and so there's no way Tess would have gone from Danny to Benedict if Benedict, of course been, not. If Benedict is treating her the way he treats her in the movie, I mean, at some point you realize you ask yourself, well, why does this why is this woman attracted to these kind of people? Like, because one is a guy who lies to her about being a thief and then gets arrested, goes to jail, then she goes off with a guy who's kind of mistreats her a little bit, or doesn't have his own opinion about anything, just kind of acquiesces to her, and so. Just very strange. And then at the end, when we see what happens, she runs back to the other guy. So that to me is, as I said, it's a bit of an underwritten character and they ask you to believe some stuff just to fit conveniently in the overall story they're telling, but they don't, but it's not believable necessarily. Um, And I can already hear some people going, don't ruin a movie for me. I can, I know, but like, it's not believable. She would be with Terry Benedict at all. He shows no care for her other than the
0: occasional arm around her shoulder or grabbing her hand later on when Danny's there at the uh, standing above them at the table. You and I are totally on the same page about this. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think that because what it does, and this we've seen this in a bunch of movies, I think, mm-hmm. is that when you have the person who we're supposed to think is awesome fall in love with the bad person, yeah. you're devaluing the person that we're supposed to think is awesome. Yeah. Because it's not just, I mean, yes, Danny is a liar and a thief, but he is charming and funny and awesome. You can see why someone falls yeah. in love with him. Terry Benedict's obviously a horrible person, right? You know, like he and or even just a boring person or a he. The whole energy that Andy Garcia walks around with is dark and brooding and serious and yeah. You know, he's a career man. He's worked. He's focused on his job. And look, it's a very important job
1: and and it's very highly lucrative. But and at any moment, at any every second, his job is at risk. Every single second the potentiality of his job is at risk so if you're going to be with someone like that it's
0: it's a decision you know you got to well, you got to accept the lifestyle 100% agree with that and in addition to that everything we hear about terry benedict is that he is a violent angry vengeful criminal yes you know yeah and so it's like you're saying that tess can't see any of that that's yeah, just test. completely oh, yeah sorry steve good yeah that she's completely blinded by her attraction to this guy that she did it's like that's where that's why i mean you devalue this character of tess right exactly
1: or that she would be okay being with a guy who was yeah cool with you know bankrupting uh some guy's brother's tractor business so yeah i mean it's
0: it's a little too far right we're back to five thousand dollar chips and saul is gambling as lyman zerga and obviously his stomach
4: is bothering him and we hear a weak stomach mr zerga I don't believe in weakness. It costs too much. I don't believe in questions either.
0: But clearly he's sitting next to a talker who wants to talk to him. Yeah, And that talker is the producer, Jerry Weintraub. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is him. Right, exactly. At the and, table. And apparently he had told Soderbergh and Ted Griffin this unbelievable Vegas story. They said that's the greatest Vegas story we've ever heard. We had to put that in the movie. Ted wrote up a version of it. Jerry rejected it. Ted wrote up another version of it. Jerry rejected it. Finally, they just had Jerry tell the story, and then they cut it out of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because fuck you, Jerry. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. It slows down the pace of the movie. Exactly. Um, But he does say something about how dangerous uh, Terry Benedict is, not someone to fool around with. Uh, And we see Terry, and by the way, I love his costuming, and what they did was they put him in beautiful suits, but then they also... Created these Asian touches, so like his vests are made out of kimonos, Mm. or the cuts are sort of Asian cuts, or these other fabrics. It's really interesting. Zerga. Yes, sir. How's he doing?
2: Up, almost two hundred.
0: Good for him. Now that two hundred is two hundred thousand dollars, right? Right, right. Two hundred thousand dollars, man. Two hundred bucks. (laughs) Well, and it's so like when you're. Gambling at the level of $200,000, and that is basically chump change yeah, yeah. to set you up to, for the real robbery. That's crazy. I agree. We've said some things about Tessa's character. You've said that she's a bit underwritten, and I agree. Yeah. And now we get to a scene where George Clooney sits down with Julia Roberts, and it is fantastic. Yeah. You're
1: 30 seconds late. I was about to send out search.
0: And then she turns in season.
1: Great acting here.
0: Again. It's great. The look that Julia Roberts gives him,
1: that is a combo of surprise, oh no, and also, god, he's good looking. Like, it's all there mixed in, right? All those confusing emotions at once, and probably a couple other ones. And Julia does a great job with just micro moves of her face, hinting at all those emotions. It's great.
0: And her eyes, too, of course. Well, it sounds like, I think the first couple of takes they did it, it was too light, like they played they played it for the jokes and it's a very funny scene right and and what they kind of found uh with working on is no that the anger and the emotion and the loss and the love all has to really be there right and it's and it'll still be
2: funny because it is very witty yeah now they tell me that i paid my debt to society
4: funny i never got a check
2: you're not wearing your ring
4: i sold it i don't have a husband or didn't you get the papers
2: my last day inside
4: i told you i'd write
0: yeah, and this is why I could totally see why they would play it for laughs, because all, they're all jokes. Right.
2: I came here for you. want to get on with my life, I want you with me. <laughs> this is just a great line.
4: You're a thief and a liar.
2: I only lied about being a thief. I don't do that anymore. Steal. Lie.
0: <laughs> Which isn't really true, because he's still lying to her. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: I'm with someone now who doesn't have to make that kind of distinction. No,
0: he's very clear on both. Which, of course, he's basically saying that guy is a thief and a liar. Yeah. And I love what I what's so great at the end of the scene
1: mm-hmm.
0: is she says, I'm with Terry now. And he says, does he make you laugh? There is so much love on Clooney's face. Yeah. There's so much just not even love. It's like adoration, you know? Yeah. And her response is,
4: he doesn't make me cry.
0: <laughs> which is also saying that he
4: doesn't make her laugh. Right. She's accepting that. I have a package arriving here that evening. A black briefcase, standard size. The contents of which is very valuable to me. I'll put her in the house safe for you. The house safe is for Brandy and Grandmother's pearls.
0: He doesn't want the safe. He wants it somewhere much safer.
2: (laughs) Just setting up that con.
1: Yeah.
2: You don't love me anymore. You want to make a life with someone else? Fine. I'm going to have to live with that not him
4: spoken like a true ex-husband
2: I'm not joking Tess
4: I'm not laughing Danny
2: and I love that we went from this
0: really funny witty scene yeah to a heartfelt moment to like a really serious moment I think
1: yeah because she's really revealing like the extent of what he did because and it's great because you're taking a chance as a scriptwriter and a director to put your lead who's been charming us the whole movie mm-hmm um, in a position of being exposed by his ex-wife of being a selfish jerk. Yeah. And it seems like he, quote unquote, went out for those cigarettes and they just picked him up and he went right to jail. Yeah.
0: There was no, and, and it, it sounds like Tess didn't even visit him. And then at this moment, who comes up but there's Terry Benedict.
4: Danny was walking through the restaurant and spotted
0: me. Is that right? Yeah, imagine the odds. Of all the gin joints in all the world. <laughs> so let me ask a Steve
1: Morris question. Okay. They're like Tess these occasionally on the, on the show. When do you think Danny concocted this plan to rob Terry Benedict
0: and get Tess back with the chance of getting Tess back? So he's been in prison for a few years. Yes. I I would assume that she didn't start daring, dating Terry Benedict the moment he went into prison. No, I would assume so. It took a little bit of time. Yes. I think not only did he start coming up with this plan the moment that she started dating Terry Benedict.
4: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: The whole reason for the plan is Tess. Yes. The plan, he had to come up with a big money plan to allow him to come up with a plan to get Tess. Right. He would never have done any of this if Tess didn't start dating Terry Benedict. That's right. my opinion. What do you think? Okay. I Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. And the other side of it is, how did he end up in jail? It's a great question. Well, oh, actually, no, I'm wrong. Because okay. the fight with Tess happened before he went to jail. Right. Because he was upset about something. Now I had to go back and see what that original line is.
2: My wife left me. I was upset. I got into a self-destructive pattern. Mm-hmm. So I, I, let's reexamine this because yeah. I think the sequence of events is actually
0: she found out he was a thief. Yes. Then she left him. Then he did not. He wasn't operating at his normal, excellent level. So we and, and then he got caught. And she could have even started dating terry benedict before he went to prison so something they
1: don't say in the movie but something occurred to me as i was watching the movie did terry have a hand in like is this a sweeney todd situation where the judge being terry benedict saw Tess, mm. saw the situation and maneuvered the pieces to send danny to jail while he so he could have time to seduce her and, and get with her, you know, and, and make him his girlfriend. That is very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, and then maybe Danny heard about it, which he never says in the movie, but maybe Danny heard about it and killing two birds with one stone, knocking out uh, Benedict and also and taking his money and also getting Tess back, like the ultimate power play.
0: So I don't so- know, just throwing it out. So I, that's a very interesting idea. My gut would be no. And the reason is what's happening right at the end of the scene. Yeah. Which is that when Terry meets, because Terry Benedict shows up. Yeah. Meets Danny. I, it seems very clear to me he he has never seen him before. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Or he's playing that. He's it a very, be. very ruthless, my, smart guy.
0: Yeah. My, my sense is that, is that. T- is that Danny Ocean is like tw- in Terry Benedict's mind mm-hmm. Danny Ocean is like 12 steps lower in status than he is right and he hasn't given him that much thought. That's my sense but do you sense Terry Benedict, who's yeah. so vigilant and aware of everything where he says the camera is
1: always watching didn't know that Danny Ocean, her former boyfriend is getting out of jail
0: is out of jail? I think he did know yeah because so because he says is an act at the table. I think I think he sent I, this. My gut would be as soon as he started dating Tess, he had his detective, he had his guys go yes. out and do a full background check on her. Oh yeah, so about. he knows all about Danny Ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think that he did that before dating Tess. That's fair. But he does. He definitely says you recently were released from
4: prison. Is that correct?
0: So he totally knew that he, <laughs> he was in prison. Yeah. yeah. All of this <laughs> dick measuring between the two of them is just it's just great. <laughs> the way they play it.
4: I don't imagine we'll be seeing Mr. Ocean anytime soon, right? You never know. Ah, uh,
2: I know everything that's happening in my hotels. So I should put those towels back? Oh,
0: the towels you can keep. Which is essentially saying, take the towels, stay the hell away from my woman. Right. And, I lo- and by the way, the final where... Terry. Danny. That final moment, that is improvised. That's great. Yeah. Because uh, you can tell there's an
1: uncomfortable amount of time where Danny is just standing there as... Uh, Terry is stroking Tess's hand and neither yep. one of them are looking up at him. And nope. so he's completely locked out of the conversation. And so in a defiant, angry move, he turns and tries to be dismissive to a guy who is richer than him by 500 times yep. and has a stronger status than him. Um, and says, Terry, as if not Mr. Benedict, not, you know, you know, anything like that. And so Terry because he's a dude and <laughs> he's got, as you said, the dick measuring contest responds back in kind as well. Danny, as if it means nothing to him. So okay yep. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it's a, it's, it's setting up a good antagonist. Yes. Yeah. And as, uh, Danny ocean walks away, who is now following him. Yeah. But Linus, uh, we cut to basher who is working on some green crystal things. And then we're outside with Terry Benedict. They're in front of some large Buddha e- Asian looking thing. Yeah. There was all sorts of dialogue written for this it was all cut and it plays silently which is great there's a huge crowd Elliot gould is there we see that in the middle of the huge crowd danny ocean is there and that behind him in the big crowd is linus yeah and there's a guy with a big ceremonial plunger and in the background we see this you know old casino yeah and we realize oh we're gonna blow up a hotel and the moment where the guy puts his hands on the plunger and the entire crowd turns to look at the explosion, yeah. except for two faces, which is Danny Ocean and Linus. This is great. It's a amazing <laughs> shot. Yeah. And then we're in the hotel room and we see in the background through the window, the casino explode. But Don Cheadle is actually watching that same explosion on TV, which I think is a really interesting choice. Um, the one through the window is CG, um, ah, yeah. And and then right after the explosion, all the lights go out. Mm-hmm. We start to hear just as we throughout the whole movie the voiceover of what's supposed to happen, and we're also seeing it happen. And this is what kind of got set up earlier, where we're hearing about reconnaissance and power and you know surveillance and all that was actually happening. So we're seeing things forward seeing the same thing now. We're hearing about Saul's package arriving, and then we hear that at 7.30, Yen gets locked in. From this point, we have 30 minutes to blow the power before we suffocate. And then we see it happening, which is we see this box being wheeled into the safe, yeah. the doors of the safe closed, we see the lid pop open, and we see feet come out, which is kind of amazing. And and we're going, I think, oh my god, are we in the middle of the con? Yeah. You know, And it is conning us because of Brad Pitt walks by and we see now that we're in the, the fake safe.
2: Okay, it put you in the middle of the room, 10 feet from everything. You have to get from there to the door without touching the floor. What do you do?
1: And it's so cool. Yeah, right. It's so cool, Steve, because Yen does this amazing flip. Lance just does it backwards. And all of them are like, oh, shit. And then do the, small go- the slow <laughs> golf clap, yep. which I think is really great.
0: By the way, the whole idea that he's going to suffocate in 30 minutes if we don't get him out. Yeah, that's totally not true <laughs> because he can open up the lid himself that's true i mean he's not gonna just die take the small breaths <laughs> yeah i mean he could he, if he has to get out of the thing he could get out himself mm-hmm. but any but it doesn't matter because like a lot of things it's making the movie much more tense yeah. and another thing that's making the movie more tense is right at this triumphant moment of doing the flip
3: we're in deep shit
0: in comes basher <laughs> covered in shit he also does a long completely non-understandable monologue (laughs) well
1: if if you're a cockney person he's using a bunch of uh, cockney slang and so which i've been uh, taught recently in our stereo show that we used to do with the lady outlaw because we had a friend we had a person who listened to us every week and would teach us cockney slang every week some new some rhyming thing and the barney rubble trouble thing is a legitimate thing and so there's a number of sayings and phrases and the Australians have this as well, which is really interesting. I wish we had something like this to be cool like that cuz I love the idea that you it's a rhyming thing and you have to work a little harder to get to what they're saying, you know, but you understand the reference once you understand what it is.
0: So you're saying that all of this stuff is real. Yes, everything he's saying is absolutely real. Um which is it, great. Well, and I certainly wouldn't have understood any of it, but what no. it basically is is because they had a power issue when they blew up this hotel. They fixed the thing that he was going to break. Yes, exactly. And they didn't anticipate they were going to yeah. break something that needed to be fixed in a way that would mess up the con. Right. And so there's no way they can come up with anything. I love, by the way, the silent communication between Clooney and Pitt or between Danny and Rusty yeah. <laughs> where he says, we could always by tomorrow. I love that they knew what the other one was thinking. Yeah. And then we come up with the idea of getting a pinch. And a pinch is basically... Using the electromagnetic pulse from a nuclear bomb, without the nuclear bomb, that's going to wipe out the power. By the way, there actually is such a thing. Oh yeah, and apparently it's the size of a like that. It's the size of a house. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to actually go grab it. It's not. It's not what they grab it. They. No. institute. Yeah. Um, it, go ahead. Real quick,
1: Steve. Let me ask you a question because this is great. As a filmmaker, you know, and 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 what have you. Like, this moment is so great because you have to earn this moment. This leap in logic. This suspension of disbelief that they have to now get essentially an emp to, yeah. to 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 be able to pull off this caper your story has to be so good your acting has to be so well done the the charm of the movie has to really win you over for you to go an EMP from a nuclear, th- all right, I'm in. Yeah, I'm sure, I can see that happening. Let's go get it.
0: Particularly in the way we get it. So let's yeah. go to the scene because it is truly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to the California Institute of Technology or of Advanced Science, and the van Does pulls up. Does this exist?
1: Does this exist?
0: There's the California Institute of Technology. I don't know if there's an Institute of Advanced Science.
1: All right, fair. The right.
0: van pulls up, and everyone gets out, and Matt Damon starts to get out, and he goes,
4: Where you going? i with you."
2: No. Oh no. no! No no
4: no no! Don't leave me with
2: these
0: guys! And my question is, why did you bring Linus at all? You literally drove five hours from Vegas, yeah, for him to sit in the van and drive home. I think they're just kind of. It makes no sense. It doesn't no, make sense. Maybe you're right. they brought him so we can have the thing happen that's going to happen. And again, they group, they're grooming him, aren't they? So they bring him to kind of see the
1: particulars and see what I you get. This time to troubleshoot. So having him come along is kind of a way of of giving him even more experience in pulling off a job like this and okay. the mistakes that sometimes can happen or the, the obstacles,
0: rather, that come up that you have to overcome. So I love the he's in the back of the van listening to the Malloy brothers bicker, <laughs> yeah. and the camera just sort of pushes him on him being pained. And it's one thing if he just got out of the van. Right. Because he didn't want to listen. But that's not what he does. What he does is unbelievably stupid, which is go into the building. Yeah. And he goes into the building at the moment they're bringing the pinch out. It's a great timing. I, and I wanted to I, – I made a mental note about this scene, Steve, because as because we've said,
1: you know, as a director with the camera, the way the camera moves here is really interesting, right? Because you see him coming out. Of the van and heading into the thing and the camera as he's heading in, the camera is pulling back Mm -hmm. around the van, almost as if you are there and hiding behind the van to not get seen. And then, boom, the other door opens with that thing coming through. So the
0: framing and the staging Mm -hmm. of this, because it's all one shot, is fantastic. And I loved it. I mean, Soderbergh knows how to move that camera, man. Hell yeah, man. It really does. And it's just the moment that happens. is just terrible. Yes, yeah, they all get in the van. They start to drive away. Realize he's not there. Open up that sliding door of the van and spot him running up the stairs because you can see through to the stairway, yeah. running up the stairs, and then see the the guards coming towards him. And they, you know they're in the moment of like, do we go back and get him? Yeah, right. They have we- to. Yeah. And then a chair comes through a window. He comes out onto this metal grate outside the building. Uh, And I love the sort of slow him walking on this metal grate and the guards slowly walking behind him (laughs) before he jumps off onto the roof of the van. And then even just the comedy of them going, okay, let him in. And they open up the doors in the back, expecting him to go down to the back and he slides down on the front of the van as to run around and get in. And then they're pulling away. He's getting in. The chaos of him getting in. They slam the door shut on Yen's hand. Yeah. And Danny lays into him. Just lays into him. Well, and this is the thing. So you brought up the, we we have to accept the ridiculousness of they're going to steal like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing. So a van comes into the middle of the night, steals this unbelievably high-tech piece of technology. Yeah. They don't call the, this van has to drive all the way to Vegas right good call like like they didn't call out a million cops in the army to stop them from stealing they're just like the two guards just went eh? i guess it's gone (laughs) so good we get back to vegas and we find out that danny has been red flagged
3: it means the moment
4: you set foot in that casino floor they'll be watching you like hawks hawks with video cameras
0: and they ask any idea how this happened and danny says no And what I like about this setup, even though it turns out to be a con, is that we just had the scene where inexperienced Linus did something to put the job in jeopardy by acting stupid. Yeah. And now Linus gets to call out Danny for putting the job in jeopardy because he watched him go after Benedict's girl. Yeah. And he's now gets to reclaim a little bit of status yeah. with
2: Danny. Yeah, it's a great point. Steve. Even
0: though later on we find out that this whole thing is kind of staged. <laughs> but at this moment, Rusty says,
2: You're out, Danny. He's out? It's either that or we call the whole thing off.
1: And who's the first person to pipe up when Danny's kicked out?
0: Well, uh, Elliot Gould is not happy Yeah, about him it. And, him and Saul are the two yeah. first people. You know? Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I like that Saul's like, Tess is with Benedict now? She's too tall for him. <laughs> it's Great button. Great button.: So what has happened is that Danny, who put the whole job together, has now put it at risk because there is a woman involved. And you know what occurred to me?
1: Mm.
0: We have done another movie. Where there was a big crime okay. where we had to put a great team together yes. to do something unbelievably complicated and difficult that yes. was being jeopardized because the guy leading the crime had lost his wife, and that was going to mess up everything that was going to happen. Do you know what movie this is? Transformers. No, no, I'm joking. Uh, No, I don't remember. What is the movie? Inception. Oh, that's right. Inception is it's it's a it's, it's i mean insane. it's a really complicated con job, this huge job and and you know the leader hasn't told him that his wife is somewhere down in the dreamland right and so at this moment, the job is really in jeopardy because our leader is not going to be able to continue to do the con and I would say this might be a good time to end part one of our exploration of oceans eleven, which means basically part two is the con is the con yeah Uh, (laughs) on. so uh as always uh you can visit us on our facebook page do a search for the cinephiles follow us on twitter cine underscore files instagram the cinephiles podcast subscribe to the show at all the usual places please leave a review on apple podcasts you know the reviews have kind of slowed down lately Mm. and i don't feel like you and i have slowed down no i feel like Yeah, we're going full speed, so we would really love those reviews if you have the time. If you can support the show at patreon.com slash the cinephiles, where you could actually suggest a movie like Ocean's Eleven for us to do, that would be fantastic. You could buy or stream all the movies we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net, and you could follow me on Twitter at SRMorris, Instagram SRMorris1, and Enterprise Incidents for all your Star Trek needs. John, how'd people find you?
1: You can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, uh, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, and my YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash John says, and my other podcast, The Top Ten, and the Geek Buddies. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, you have been enjoying us for what six years now, yeah. Steve. And I'll, I, I want to encourage all of you who are not members of the Patreon to join the Patreon. Keep supporting what we're doing here, as. We're looking to get more guests. We're looking to expand the reach of the cinephiles, you all who love us so much. We'd love your support on the Patreon side of things to keep increasing the growth of the Patreon. And we start moving to a place where we can hire outside editors. We can start doing more episodes because we have more free time to be able to deliver more of that content for you. So when you help us get to that certain level, then we can keep expanding and growing as a podcast. And you can say, you were there at the beginning when this thing was laying its foundation and building and building and building and i helped them get to this uh, level where a bunch of people are watch are listening to them from all over the world in the thousands if not hundreds of thousands so just putting my occasional pitch out there to you all to please support us on the patreon and you know you do you can also send in a, a certain amount or a one time donation that's pretty high and request a movie and if it fits with what we're doing we will be open to doing it so there's several ways you can support us here on the cinephiles and we'd appreciate your support and your love as this uh uh, podcast keeps growing and the show keeps growing and we bring so much entertainment to
0: you all every week i will simply say here (laughs) here i agree wholeheartedly um and i will say that's it for this week Next week, we will return to Las Vegas to take down not one, not two, but three casinos with the conclusion of Ocean's Eleven.